this starts. Hello, welcome to Play This, a podcast where two old friends recommend video games to each other and have in-depth discussions about them. I'm Daniel. And I'm Sean. And hey, everybody. Yes, hello. Welcome back to Play This. Yeah, uh, it's been a little while since we've recorded an episode, but hopefully it'll be far less time before you hear this episode. Yeah. Faithful listeners may have noticed that there's been kind of a discrepancy in releases and also... Our news tends to be out of date because we record like three weeks <laughs> before the episode itself goes up. Thanks for dealing with that, and sorry you've had to. Uh, we plan on being uh, much more up-to-date yeah. uh, starting with this episode. But the bright side of that is that this has been a pretty eventful month for mm-hmm. video game news and stuff. That's fair to say. Um, but what I've done is selected... I think uh, a handful of pretty big highlights, I think, that are really worth talking about. All right. A lot of a lot of games have been announced in between this and stuff. Like, you know, we've seen Red Dead Redemption 2 gameplay. We've seen, like, a Phoenix Wright game get announced and stuff. We're not going to talk about any of that, um, especially because the Phoenix Wright game is a port. <laughs> uh, the same port of the first three games that we've gotten for... Decades now. So, yeah, well, decade, decade, not plural. Obviously, that's exciting and newsworthy, but uh, we've got bigger fish to fry here. Yeah, so I guess let's kick off our video game news. Yeah, let's fry those fish. So first up is one that's actually kind of relevant to this specific episode, <laughs> funnily enough, but also a topic that I'm excited and passionate about. A new video game company was founded this month. Mm-hmm called Two Kill Games. And by this month, I mean September. Right. It's September 30th when we're recording this. I'm sure the episode will go up early October. Oh, spooky. Yeah. But still, in early September, Two Kill Games was announced. Initially, there was just an announcement that a mysterious new game company was being founded (laughs) by uh, an unknown developer. It's really nothing to go on at all. Yeah. But, you know, they they sort of peppered some mystery around it, right? Mm-hmm. And then right before Tokyo Game Show, they actually formally announced Tokyo Games. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just thinking, I was trying to think of, like, a comparison from mm-hmm. what that announcement is like. And the first thing I thought of is, I'm making a food in the kitchen. And, like, <laughs> an hour later, I go, beef is involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so exactly like that right they then announced that tokyo games is being founded by uh several creators that used to be involved in both the danganronpa and zero escape franchises yeah uh funnily enough we are doing an episode about a zero escape game that's wild yeah so uh the i think it's a team of like seven people but uh there's four people that are especially notable in this i think uh, the head writer of the Danganronpa series, uh, Kazutaka Kodaka, mm-hmm. and he's basically like the main person who founded this. He's the person who rounded all these people up. Right. Also, the writer and director of the Zeroscape franchise, Kotaro Uchikoshi, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool. We'll get in more into that, I'm sure, over the course <laughs> of this episode. We certainly will. The main artist for the Danganronpa franchise, Rui Komatsuzaki. That's a great get. Yeah, that's a distinct art style. Yeah, incredibly distinct art style. 
And you can definitely see that Arcel being used in several of its project announcements, which we'll talk about in just a second. Yeah. And uh, they also got the Danganronpa composer, Masafumi Takada. That's another great get. Another great get, because the Danganronpa soundtracks are, as they say, lit. Yeah, aces. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tokyo Games, the name is a play on uh, Tokyo. Mm -hmm. You know, it's supposed to sound a bit like Tokyo, but is also a play on... uh, Kyo is the Japanese word for crazy, ah. so uh, it's also two crazy games, <laughs> which is very cute. Yeah, exactly, very fitting. Exactly, the, yeah, very fitting for this team because mm-hmm. they make some really, they write some really wacky, unorthodox stuff. So They sure do. Yeah, two crazy fits them for sure. Uh, Kodaka says that the goal of the company is to create new IPs, new intellectual properties, mm-hmm. and for the members of the staff to get to make their own indie projects, basically, which is really neat. Yeah. They've already started by announcing four projects. Uh, <laughs> four projects, which is huge. Just like, hey, we just started our company. Here's four <laughs> things we're working on. Right. The first is a video game uh, being written. Uh, the scenario is being made with- by Kodaka and Uchikoshi together, which is insane. <laughs> yeah, that's something I'm in- I'm looking forward to really bad. That'll be really interesting. Yeah. All seven staff members are actually going to be heavily involved in the project. Uh, like the composer Danganronpa is making the soundtrack. The artist of Danganronpa is making the art for it, and um, like it looks really intriguing. Yeah. Um, yeah. can't wait to see what the hell that game is. Their second project is not a video game, but an anime series that they are collaborating on together with Studio Piero, who has made some pretty prolific stuff like Naruto and Tokyo Ghoul, and they just have a like a big pedigree of like Nar- anime. Naruto is like the definition of prolific in anime. Yeah. Like the amount of episodes, if you combine Naruto and Shippuden, is intimidating to say the least yeah there's a lot of stuff there yeah uh i was watching a lot of naruto with my girlfriend amy lee uh-huh. and we watched hundreds of episodes and that's with us skipping all of the filler right of which there is very much and we're maybe a third done with the whole thing yeah, like there's still like mm-hmm. it's exhausting <laughs> uh fun though i do like naruto it's cute uh, the anime series will be written, uh, the scenario will be written by Kodaka, with the art style being held by Komatsu, uh, Komatsuzaki, the, the Danganronpa artist. Right. So it kind of, it'll look kind of like a Danganronpa anime, which is cool. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, I mean, there has been a Danganronpa <laughs> anime, <laughs> right. but it's it's not great. Won't say no to more. <laughs> the third project is an action-adventure game, uh, supervised by Kodaka, but the head writer will be Uchikoshi. Mm-hmm. Uh, the art style is actually by a different artist than Komatsuzaki, and it almost looks like very childish, like kind of like a kid's, like almost like a children's book style okay. art style. But uh, Uchikoshi's writing it, so you know some messed up stuff is going to happen. <laughs> like, right. it's, uh, I'm kind of expecting a Madoka Magica style, uh, you know? Right, twist of the knife. Yeah, which. I guess not everyone's seen Madoka Magica. It's, right. an, it's an anime that seems very sweet and cute at the beginning, but uh, there's a there's a darkness. Yeah, there's if a, you, there's if a you tonal pursue. shift. Yeah, and finally, the fourth project is a another video game they're making together with Spike Chunsoft, the publisher and developer of the Danganronpa and Zeroscape games. 
uh, the the main Danganronpa people are working on at Kodaka, mm-hmm. Komatsuzaki, uh, Masafumi Takata. They're all working on it, and actually Kodaka started the project before he left Spike Chunsoft. So I guess part of the deal he made with Spike Chunsoft is like, hey, uh, you can can we make this at our new company? <laughs> You'll get a cut or right. Finally, Kodaka said that all of the projects they announced are uh, at least two or three years away from release. Uh, so basically, they've just started on all this stuff. Sure. The company was founded about a like was founded last year, like late 2017, mm-hmm. but it was like made public this month. Yeah, we won't see any of this stuff for a while. But it's cool to know it's out there. Yeah, it's still really exciting. I'm yeah. still, I'm still very much looking forward to all this stuff. And man, I I just know that the, some of these games will be stuff I love. If yeah. it's if it's not too gross, sometimes <laughs> sometimes the Dangarampa guy in particular can get a little gross. Yeah, yeah. But well, I'm up, I'm optimistic for now. Based on my experience playing nine hours, nine persons, nine doors, the Zero Escape guy can also get gross in a different way, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, like. Kodaka gets sexually gross. Uchikochi gets gory gross. Well, I don't know. There's some stuff. Uh, There's some stuff in Zero Escape. Well, I guess maybe we can talk about that in the Zero Escape segment. I guess we will. Hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, well, we'll talk about it later. Yeah. In other news. In other sadder news. Yeah, much less fun. (laughs) Uh, This was actually like a fucking like gaming news volcano going off how sudden it was. Yeah, this was really wild. Um. Like, basically, a bunch of news outlets at the same time were basically like, we've heard from several anonymous sources, <laughs> right? We did not hear this from the actual source itself till like, much later in the day. Right. That Telltale Games uh, suddenly shut down, or not quite shut down. They laid off 250 people from their 275-person <laughs> staff. Right. Uh, they laid them off and left 25 people to like finish up some stuff before right. they like fully close down in November. It's like a skeleton crew, basically. Yeah. Uh the people that were laid off were laid off with no severance. And I've also heard that they had like half an hour to clear out their desks. Yeah. Which is just sad. Yeah, and they basically found out they were getting fired the same day we did. Right. Uh yeah. God. Uh fucking awful. We'll yeah. get, well, I think we'll get into that a little more in a second. Uh they were working on some games at the time. Uh, <laughs> Say that the, again. Yeah, the the big ones being Stranger Things in a collaboration with Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, Wolf Among Us Season 2, which I was actually looking forward to. The yeah. first one was my favorite Telltale game. And The Walking Dead, the final season, right? which released its second episode <laughs> uh, this month uh, and is supposed to have more episodes right. before it finishes. First of all, Telltale has officially said nothing about which games are still in production. Right. However, the official, uh, you know, the the news outlets were basically saying, yeah, Stranger Things and Wolf Among Us Season 2 are canceled. The Skeleton Crew is working on The Walking Dead, the final season. Then later, a U.S. gamer said, actually, wait, sorry, Wolf, uh, The Walking Dead final season is also canceled. <laughs> the Skeleton Crew is working on Minecraft Story Mode. <laughs> 
Which is the great, you know, if you're going to refocus your priorities on something, that's really the one to, oh, to do. Oh, yeah. Well, that's probably making them the most money. I'm sure it's a money spinner. Yeah. yeah it's Minecraft been... being Minecraft. I, I think what I've read, actually, is like it was one of their only profit producers wow. uh, in the later years of Telltale. So they, they said all this. A few days later, Telltale tweeted, hey, um, actually, for for those of you that have already bought Walking Dead, the final season from us, you'll be happy to know that we're working with partners to find a way to finish the Walking Dead final season. Right. And uh, and at which point several employees that had just gotten fired <laughs> replied to that and said, hey, Telltale, if you can afford to work with partners to finish the Walking <laughs> Dead season two, then why did you say you fired us because you were financially unable right. to do anything anymore? And that's why you weren't violating the WARN Act. <laughs> the WARN Act being a pretty cool California law because yeah. they have great laws yeah. there um, that basically says that there are requirements when you fire people, you know, when you uh, lay off a certain number of people, yeah. you have to give notice for a certain number of days, which obviously they didn't give any notice at all. Yeah. And if you don't, then you need to fit a very specific amount of requirements, which. Telltale initially claimed that they did, and then it became somewhat clear that they might have been lying about that. Right. So, <laughs> so then those former employees filed a class action lawsuit, <laughs> uh, and shortly after that, The Walking Dead final season was quietly pulled from storefronts. Oh, God. <laughs> this is, like, the sleaziest thing I've seen a video game company do. This is really bad. Yeah. yeah. And the degree of monetary mismanagement that had to have happened to get them to this point. Yeah. When you consider like the number of popular games that they've released. Yeah. Uh, is, is it's very frustrating. It's frustrating for the people that work there. It's frustrating for the people that enjoyed playing telltales games. Yeah. It's just not great all around. No, like it's horrifying. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm, I'm actually really glad that these guys are filing a class action lawsuit. And yes. I, I really hope that this will, Get them the money that they deserve, you know, because they're really all they're asking for is the money that they should have gotten from a severance package. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. They basically just want severance pay as yeah. required under Warren. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing is insane. Um, it's just, it's like everything that's wrong with the video gaming industry wrapped up tidily in one story with a bow on yeah, it. Yeah. Seriously. It's, oh, God. It's such a mess. Another thing that really made me sad about the whole thing is seeing so many people be unempathetic, you know, yeah. like so many people were saying, well, why, why don't these people just finish the games that they announce for free? <sighs> like I, I've seen that as a legitimate <laughs> suggestion, uh, yes. right? Thank you person on the internet who has no idea how money works. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. What a great idea. Oh man. Uh, like how can you see, like 250 careers just get like fucked right in a single day and, and then just... and then your first reaction is well what about my game yeah yeah <sighs> and like them like blaming the employees you yeah. know like it's like no blame blame the <laughs> blame the people who manage this so poorly that mm -hmm. the employees lost their jobs no, exactly. the employees would still be doing this if they had any say in it if they yeah. had any if they were allowed to keep their jobs and get paid for it mm -hmm. One silver lining, though, to all this is that a lot of people 
working for various gaming companies said like hey telltale guys hey people that got laid off from telltale we're hiring (laughs) right and we would like to prioritize being able to hire people from telltale so that you guys can land on your feet and have jobs again in the gaming industry and that's really cool to see so many companies do that um absolutely the main one off the top of my head is iron galaxy like Mm -hmm. really reached forward to to sort of these these telltale refugees (laughs) right and uh, iron galaxy makes a lot of cool games and just generally seem to have really solid head on their shoulders Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways so and really anybody from here on out who sees telltale games on someone's resume is gonna go like oh you poor motherfucker come in here (laughs) let's talk about what we do for you (laughs) I think that's really all we can say about that. It's just a mess of a situation. And I, I really hope that everyone affected by it has an improvement on their whole situation in the very near future. Absolutely. Our hearts really go out to anybody who lost their job in such a horrifying way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. The last fun headline I'd like to mention is that Microsoft announced an Xbox event this month while Sony canceled their PlayStation event. <laughs> Microsoft very recently announced an event called uh, XD18. Why are they so bad at naming things? <laughs> X018 is what it's called. It's happening November 10th and 11th. That's the Saturday. All, right. and a... All right, buddy, come in here. Come in here to the ready room. Listen, you did a great job naming the 360. You did a great job naming the one. Oh, we got another one for you. We're launching this event. What should we call it? Uh, how about a X018? You're great. You got it. Good job. <laughs> ah, thanks, man. I really love naming things. <laughs> that's how I'm imagining that went. I'm sure that's exactly how that went. Yeah. Anyway, tell me about it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's going to be an event for fans. I think it's in, happening in Central America, which is interesting. Ah. And the whole thing is going to sort of cap off with a live episode of Inside Xbox that's going to be two hours long from 3 to 5 p.m. Central Time. I uh, wonder what's happening during that. On Saturday, uh, November 10th. And yeah, Inside Xbox, they've generally used for kind of smaller announcements. Mm-hmm. But since it's a live episode, since they're sort of revolving an event around it, I'm sure there'll be something cool. Yeah. You know, I've, they. well, I think there's one big thing that could be happening and they might be announcing what the xbox successor is going to be Mm. right they might be announcing the xbox scarlet as it is codenamed i see and um (laughs) all right buddy you did the xbox so the x018 uh we need a new name for you what should we call the next xbox uh the fourth Xbox, if you will. I think we should call it Xbox Two. Oh, you're a genius. <laughs> it's yeah, it's not gonna be called the Scarlet. They're gonna find a new name for it and it's gonna be really stupid. It's gonna be worse. God, like what was the code name for the Xbox One? The Scorpio, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The Xbox Scorpio and or what? or is just the Scorpio, yeah. Why are code names always cooler than the name? Right? The, like the, the dolphin? Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh the Wii was called the Revolution That's initially. So cool. Yeah. I, I get the revolution because you you're calling a, a Japanese system the revolution, and that's going to be hard for mm, yeah, that's true. you know the English sure. word revolution is going to be hard for them to say. Like that was a legitimate reason that they gave for changing the name, and I understand that. Uh the uh, funnily enough, the Nintendo DS 
was called the DS, you know, like <laughs> that was its code name right. and they just kept it because it was so cool. I think their next Xbox could be something they could announce here. They might want to beat the PlayStation five to the punch. Sure. And I'm sort of getting the vibe that we could be seeing both new platforms as early as the end of 2019. Mm. Right. Part of that is Sony canceling PSX this year. Right. Uh, Sean Layden actually sort of announced this, that there's going to be no PSX this year. And this uh, this is the quote. Now that we have Spider-Man out the door, we're looking down in 2019 to games like Dreams and Days Gone, but we wouldn't have enough to bring people all together in some location in North America to have that event. We don't want to set expectations really high and then not deliver on it. It was a hard decision, but we have determined that this year we will not hold PlayStation Experience. Hmm. And I think there's a couple main takeaways from this. The first takeaway is that PSX last year sucked. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right? They sort of revealed very close to PSX last year that, oh, yeah, you know know that big blot of announcements we had the year before? We're not doing that this year. We're going to sit on a couch for four hours and talk about some really small games (laughs) and some other games that you already know about. And I think they must have seen a really negative reaction to that. And they're like, well, that's... (laughs) We don't have any blockbuster announcements that we can show right now. So it'd be pretty much the same experience and people didn't like that. Let's save ourselves the bad press and not do that this year. Sure. So I get that. The other takeaway, and uh, a fairly obvious one, is that because Sean Layden literally said this, they don't have games that they can show us right now. Right. And... I think a very likely explanation for that is that outside of the PlayStation 4 projects that we already know about, Death Stranding, Days mm-hmm. Gone, Dreams, Last of Us Part Two, uh-huh. aside from those four games, they've probably stopped development of new PlayStation 4 titles and are focusing on making titles for the PS5. Sure. And, and I, I think that means that a lot of those four games are probably coming out in 2019. Dreams and Days Gone definitely are. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised to see Last of Us or Death Stranding or both like in the fall of 2019. Sure. Although I could also see Death Stranding getting delayed to 2020 because that's how <laughs> Kojima do. Hey, that's how he do. Um, or maybe Last of Us Part Two and Death Stranding are like cross-platform games right. on the PS4 and the PS5. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that the PS5 launching holiday 2019... And the Xbox Scarlet doing that also makes a lot of sense. I think it's too soon still. Max and I talked about this around the beginning of the year, actually. And I think the end of 2019 is too soon. Yeah. I think I think especially since they've released the Xbox One X and the PS4 Pro. Mm-hmm. And I bought my Pro, what, at the end of last year? I think so. I still think they both got at least a couple good years left in them. Yeah. But... They're going to do what they want to do. They're going to do what they want to do. And funnily enough, there have been generations that are that are shorter than this. <laughs> that feels likely to me. That feels like a thing that's going to happen. So okay. probably will.
So, that's all the news before we get into our game yeah. for this week, this time, this episode, <laughs> which is Zero Escape, nine hours, nine persons, nine doors. It is. Uh, we should talk about what else we've been playing. All right. So, we've both been playing one game a lot in particular. We sure have. Uh, which is Spider-Man. It's great. It's really good. It's Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. No, Spider-Man is, is fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. I... I think out of all the games I've played in 2018 so far, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's definitely the game that was made the best. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, I gotcha. Yeah, just the the best polish, like the best game design. Uh, clearly, it was it's so close to being like perfectly engineered. You mm-hmm. know, um, it's really quite a feat of game development, and I'm incredibly impressed by it. Yeah. Yeah, they just get so much right. Like, a it's it's such it's such a good use of the license. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's a great Spider-Man story. Oh yeah, it is. It takes place in a new universe, and it sort of reimagines a lot of Spider-Man tropes in a lot of really cool ways, while still, for the most part, feeling very Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And the web slinging feels amazing. Right. Of course, it just feels good to be Spider-Man altogether. Yes. They really get that right. Yeah. Nah. They. It basically feels like the best Batman Arkham game I've ever played. Like <laughs> right. it's it's what Arkham Knight should have been. Like just uh really great just it feels really good to just jump around and swing through the city, you know? For sure. The mobility is top notch and and the combat feels really smooth and actiony and fun. Although we would be remiss not to highlight the degree to which the combat is just combat from Batman that has been polished and streamlined. Yes. Like the gadgets, the combo system. Yeah. You know, um, obviously I love it. It's yeah. It's really fun to do. Yes. But they definitely owe Rocksteady kind of a debt. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, in I'm used to it now. In the beginning, it made me a little uncomfortable, actually, how <laughs> similar it was. Just sitting there like, wow, boy, they really... They're shameless, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I mean, that's just I I did just want to mention that. You know, that's definitely fair to me. Though it feels kind of like it does to the kind of Arkham genre mm-hmm. that's that's been born. You know, like because so many games ripped off Arkham sure. in the past decade, right? Yeah, it does for the Arkham genre what Overwatch does to competitive. Sure first-person shooters i get you there yeah overwatch incidentally is another game where i looked at that and looked at team fortress 2 and for a second thought like "Mm, yeah no like both games right crib a lot from their inspirations yeah but then they also crib from like 10 other games (laughs) and they mix that all together Uh and it feels a like something new yeah and b like something that ends up being better than the sum of its parts yes I've always known that Blizzard is really good at pulling that off, uh-huh. but Insomniac have now proven that they're really good at that also. Yes. I think the big innovation for me in the combat of Spider-Man is obviously the air combos. Yeah. There's a really neat fight in the latter half of the game where you're fighting two supervillains at the same time, and the fight takes place completely in the air. Or at least it can. Right. I did not touch the ground at any point during that fight. Yeah. Just like swinging around, zipping from one foe to the other, doing air combos, air finishers. And the fact that 
you know, Insomniac was able to polish their air combat yeah. to such a degree that they were comfortable pulling off a fight like that and making it feel that organic is very impressive. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I'm really blown away at how well every part of that comes together. You mm-hmm. know, like, I think this might be the best licensed game I've ever played, it's, right? Yeah, it's damn good. Yeah. Spider-Man isn't the game that the episode's about, though, so I guess any any final <laughs> thoughts? I don't think so. I think we, you know, we both love the game. Yeah. Excited for the DLC. Ooh, so excited for the DLC. The Black Cat stuff is going to be good. I really hope that Black Cat ends up being playable as part of that DLC. I just want to swing around with a grappling hook and beat the shit out of people while I'm wearing cat clothing. That's that's your dream. That's always, always been your dream. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, when I first met you, I said, hey, it's really nice to meet you. I'm Sean. And uh, see my ears? They're cat ears. (laughs) Soon the rest of me will also look like this. All right, see you later, man. I think what you actually said was nice to meow you. (laughs) Yeah, I did. Yeah, I remember that very clearly. One time you brought up something I didn't want to talk about, and I said, I am meow going to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) And then you just crawled into a litter box, (laughs) and you stared at me directly into my eyes as you took a dump. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then yeah, I uh, would not break eye contact. Then I, I was, shoved my butthole in your face. Yeah. Um, that you just freshly licked. Yeah. So it wasn't like too bad. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a clean cat. Yeah. <laughs> you were, you were just presenting yourself. It was a show of respect. My teen years were a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm okay with admitting that. You know, everybody has a phase. Some people are goths. Some, some people, people are, are cats. Some people are cats. <laughs> In as literal a sense of the word as they can be. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the Black Cat DLC. <laughs> so I can finally live out my fantasies. What else you been playing, Sean? <laughs> <clears throat> uh, the primary other game that I've been playing would be Dragalia Lost. Yeah. Which is a new game from Psy Games. And uh, Nintendo. Yes, released in partnership with Nintendo. And uh, it is a mobile game. It's got a lot of the... You know, the <laughs> it's got a lot of gotcha elements where you kind of do this sort of uh you know uh roulette thing where you can unlock uh various new characters who have different power levels and combine yeah. them together in that whole shtick. If you've played one, you've kind of played them all to yeah. a certain extent. Yeah, stuff like Marvel Future Fight and yeah. what is it called Grand Kingdom? Yeah, um wow. I'm having trouble remembering. Fate Grand Order. That's the one. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Fire Emblem Heroes also does that kind yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dragalia Lost, it has that backbone, which is my least favorite part of the game, but it's yeah. also like inevitable in the year 2018. Like if you're playing a mobile game, yeah, chances are good that it's either like a card game, Candy Crush, or this. Yeah, and it's clear that you know Nintendo had kind of revealed that out of their mobile games that they've released, their most profitable one by. <laughs> far yeah. was fire emblem heroes yeah. which is their gotcha game so we taught them this yeah yeah this is our <laughs> fault yeah this is our fault um but i do love the rest of that game there's a lot of cool stuff going on it's uh it's an action game uh you control your character with your with uh the touch screen mm-hmm. uh kind of in my case by like moving my thumb around my character moves around you know kind of the direction that i'm pointing mm-hmm. you tap to attack and then you have various kind of like special things that you can do. Uh, like you eventually sort of unlock a sort of 
link type thing where you can like charge and attack and release it and break through an enemy's guard oh neat you have special moves that you can do you have party members that you can switch through that have their own special moves and uh, you can turn into a dragon yeah uh, which is lost yeah yeah Yeah, which is really awesome yeah um and uh most of the gameplay is kind of just going through these areas defeating lots of enemies then there's a boss at the end and you defeat them right uh you can do that uh as a solo player with a party of three npcs right or you can do a multiplayer with other people you can kind of go through the game uh like that as well and I think that the core gameplay loop is really fun and satisfying. Like, I enjoy the kind of action gameplay. Mm. I also just love the whole aesthetic they have going on. It's so great. Yeah, like it's, you, it's a good look. The characters yeah. have good designs. Um, it's it's a really pretty game for a mobile game, I think. Uh, yeah. You know, and I just love, like, like when you're in the menu, this really kind of catchy J-pop song will be playing. <laughs> Soundtrack's great. Yes. And your main character can be seen kind of in the middle of all the menu options, kind of just like having a jaunty little jog to the beat. <laughs> yeah. And like he'll pass by party members and they'll be like, oh, I'm training with my lads today. And they'll just like wave at them and then keep going. <laughs> uh, it's just fantastic. Like you go to other sub menus and there'll be like art of characters and they'll be saying things like, oh, you're here to pick up on your training or what. It's just, yeah, yeah I just, I'm totally sucked into the world of Dragalia Lost, you know? That's awesome. I'm just really into it right now. Now, it's possible, uh, as has happened with other gacha games that I've played, that eventually I'll get sick of drawing heroes and adjusting my party and combining heroes together and earning orbs and whatever the fuck, and I'll stop playing. Right. But right now, the honeymoon is definitely not over. You nice. Know? I'm going to keep playing this game till I'm sick of it. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I actually started playing Dragalia Lost like an hour before we started <laughs> recording. Right. And... First of all, it is kind of a slow start, you know? Oh, like for sure it is. Like, yeah, they there's... 20 different elements of the game, right? <laughs> but it sort of, like, introduces you to each one, like, very slowly and yeah. methodically. So, at the very beginning, it feels like there's not a lot to the game. Mm-hmm. But I can tell that there actually is a lot to the game. Right. And there's so much of it that I can already tell is going to be my jam. <laughs> I love the character designs. Yeah. I love the music. The whole Transform into Dragons concept is great. Mm-hmm. Like, the, like, really, the problem is that there's so many subsystems that... Like, they probably could have introduced stuff a little bit faster. Right. But even at the pace that they do, there were times where I was like, whoa, what the fuck is happening now? We're not (laughs) done? There's more stuff? But now I'm totally on board. Nice. Yeah, I'd say the only problem I have with Dragalia Lost is not even Dragalia Lost's fault. Mm -hmm. The only problem I have with Dragalia Lost is that I am already playing a free-to-play mobile game... (laughs) That requires you to invest a lot of time into it every day for you yeah. to get the most out of it, yeah. which is something Dragalia Lost does, right? It has, like, daily bonuses uh-huh. that make you come back every day so you can get the most out of your play experience. Yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links, <laughs> a game that I may have mentioned once or twice over the course of this podcast. Maybe even last time. <laughs> does the same thing. Yeah. And on top of that, they actually... They just launched, like, a new phase, right, where they started introducing stuff from a new Yu-Gi-Oh! anime. Right. They they took Yu-Gi-Oh! 5Ds and added a bunch of characters and new mechanics and a new world and new cards you could get. And 
since it came out like a day before Dragalia Lost did. (laughs) I've been trying to unlock all that stuff before I invest myself in another time sink of a free-to-play mobile game. Like, I can't focus on both simultaneously. It would be too much for me. Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links is, like, simultaneously the best and worst thing that's ever happened to Daniel's life. (laughs) Like, on the one hand, he gets so much joy out of playing that game. I really do, yeah. just experiencing the, like, unbridled goofiness of the Yu-Gi-Oh! universe. It's so great. On the other hand, like, several times a day... You just hear his phone go, Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links! And you're like, oh, fuck, he's playing this fucking game again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, I just, I just love, like, A, like, all the, un- like, how generous that game is, how many unlocks it gives you, mm-hmm. and B, like, I've made so many cool decks in that game, you know? <laughs> like, it, it makes me feel creative. Sure. Uh, it, like, makes me come up with, like, cool strategies that I never would have thought of before. It's great although like lately they've been a bit less generous like their gem pools and stuff have been have been smaller and stuff and it and like they're releasing characters but not releasing their signature cards alongside them (laughs) and it does it does feel like they're trying to be a little stingier so that so that they can get more of a profit right and that's a bummer yeah but yeah being konami yeah, but it took them a while to be Konami. That's true. Uh, so I'm very impressed by that. Uh, but yeah, I, they've they've got me. I'm like they they were so generous for so long that I'm probably <laughs> stuck with that fucking game until they discontinue service. Yep. Dragalia Lost does seem really cool though. Yeah, I uh, I'll update you next time we record as to whether I'm still playing it, whether I still like it. You know, yeah, see. and I'll I'll update whether I've played more of it at all. <laughs> I'd like to. I'm actually kind of in the mood to play more of it, like, once we're done recording. Nice. I'm in the mood to sleep once we're done recording. (laughs) Fair. Uh, Uh, So, uh, what else have you been playing, Daniel? Well, well, I've actually been playing two games that I've very much been looking forward to for most of the year. The first being 428 Shibuya Scramble. (laughs) Now, this game, back at the very beginning of the year, Max and I did sort of a most anticipated 2018 list where mm-hmm. we we talked about our top five games that we were most excited about coming out this year. And first place for me was Kingdom Hearts 3, which got delayed <laughs> until 2019. But second place was 428 Shibuya Scramble. Right. Uh, this visual novel game that instead of like art and... And pictures and like you know that anime aesthetic that so many visual novels have, uh, they use live action photos <laughs> and sometimes video. Right, and, and yet and yet they still manage to make give, it feel like right, it's an anime. They really evoke an anime energy. Yes. Oh man, it's it's so silly. It's so campy. Uh, like you know, it follows these five different characters and you get to play from each of their perspectives and you swap between all five of these characters on the fly and the game involves you making decisions as each characters and sometimes the decision you make as one character will affect another character's story right so you need to make the right decisions as everyone before you can like proceed to the next segment of the game and there's so many like alternate endings and like bad endings you can get (laughs) from making, like, a decision that, like, affects somebody else. Like, for example, 
like uh you can be like the cop kano right? right and kano will be like oh no i'm solving this case but my girlfriend's waiting for me at the cafe with her father who i need to ask for permission to marry her i need to ask for his <laughs> blessing uh and if i keep him waiting any longer he might rescind his permission i gotta i gotta get to the cafe right now and you can choose to stay like you can choose to keep <laughs> focusing on the case or you can choose to go to the cafe immediately and you know, my my first decision was to go to the cafe immediately, and he almost gets hit by a taxi, a taxi in which another character is riding, <laughs> uh, a journalist named Minorikawa, and they yell at each other, and then they both get bad endings because they they held each other up uh, just long enough to miss windows of opportunities right. in like solving the case and and finding a scoop. So you go back and you decide not to go to the cafe and then like the story can proceed. And it's a very simple mechanic Mm -hmm. Uh, that and another mechanic where sometimes there'll be something called keep out where a character like is about to find something out or about to do something shocking. And then you'll just see keep out uh, (laughs) on the screen and then you play through someone else's story and wait for a moment where. Uh, the the dialogue or the narration mentions something that's loosely related or sometimes directly related to the character that you are prohibited from progressing. And then you can do something called jumping, which is uh, targeting the keyword, targeting the thing that has to do with that other character. And then it allows you to jump over to their story and break the keep out and keep progressing. And those are both... Those are both very simple mechanics, but they they make navigating the scenario, make navigating the story of it, like, really fun and satisfying, and the story itself is incredible. It's really <laughs> good, really engaging, and I love all the characters. Uh, yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah. One of my favorites is probably there's, there's like, sort of this, this man with, like, an afro named Yanagi Shita, who... <laughs> Uh, this game takes place like in Shibuya, obviously. It takes place in Japan. And there's this man, Yanagi Shida, who is thousands of dollars in debt. And he keeps... He's too lazy to just work <laughs> off the debt. So he keeps finding get-rich-quick schemes that end up landing him further in debt. <laughs> and this man makes the most amazing facial expressions I've ever seen. It's They're incredible. Because so... remember, he's an actor. Yeah. Like, posing for shots from a camera. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's so many stills of him just like... Like, there's one where he, like he's pointing his finger up and his mouth is wide open like he just had a great idea. <laughs> and he's like, ah! Like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I... Yeah, I love this game so much. It's definitely one of my favorites that I've played this year. Uh, And I think it's much more of a niche experience. I think it's a much more personal experience that I love personally than Spider-Man, a game that I can recommend to everybody. (laughs) Right. Right? I... I, I would be more careful about who I recommend for to HB a scramble to, mm-hmm. but it was a perfect experience for me. I played through the whole thing with Amy Lee right by my side, and we both just adored that game. We we got the normal ending, and then we figured out how to get the true ending right afterwards, and then we got the true ending, and then we unlocked a bunch of bonus content and bonus chapters and stories that we that we played through those two. We're almost done with all the bonus content in the game. And yeah, I love it. I can talk about 428 forever. 
it's cool. I was there for parts of it, you know, uh, and some of the things that I appreciated about the game are, first of all, as you know, Daniel kind of alluded to this as he was talking about Keep Out, there's this system where sometimes a character will be talking or something will happen and there will be a keyword that you can select. And yeah. it brings up a description of what that thing is. Yes. And sometimes it's just really literal. Like, it'll say, like, oh, no, there's a virus loose in the city. And it'll be like, oh, you know, this is what a virus is. Yeah, like, you can click on virus and, it'll, right. yeah. And then sometimes they're just very, like, funny or tongue-in-cheek, yes. kind of. Yeah. Uh, and it's always fun to, you know, see what you're going to get when you click on a keyword. Yeah, like, there's one scene where... uh uh, this character Achi is is take is like protecting this girl called Hitomi, and they're running, uh, they're running through a street, and they pass a motel, and uh, and motel is in blue, and you can like select it, and then uh, and then you click on motel, and the description is just this isn't that kind of game. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I really appreciate about four two eight is. And I think this really speaks to my background in RPGs. Mm-hmm. It has great menus. Yeah. Like just kind of choosing what character you want is really fun. Like mm-hmm. as you swap between them, you kind of see them do something that is suggestive of what kind of character they are. Yeah. There's, um, this, there's this character called Tama who is like, they're just like in like a cat mascot suit. <laughs> right. And when, when you like, when you select them, they do like a little wiggle, and then when uh, like when when you move over, when your cursor moves over them, they do like a little wiggle, and I, I just did the wiggle in real life. He did. You guys and, really missed out. And then when you select them, when you're like, okay, I'm playing as Tama, they like it zooms in on them, and as it zooms in, they like put their paws in front of their mouth, like really cute, like <laughs> uh, as like this intense like. Like noise plays, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. The menus are really great. The other uh, menu that I really like is when you're kind of you can. There's a kind of menu you can get to where you're just visualizing the entire timeline. Yes, and you can kind of like kind of like pan it around to look at everything that's happening. Yeah, and it's just a really visually it really pops but it's yeah. also just a very clear way to look at what's going on absolutely uh, yeah. visualized very well unlike yes. another timeline that we'll talk about later <laughs> which reminds me the the narration and the dialogue is all really well written this is a well localized game it is for sure yeah uh great prose just great well executed emotional moments well executed funny moments um <laughs> It's it's funny how sometimes in our what what else we've been playing segment we sort of end up playing a game that highlights what our actual highlighted game has done wrong. <laughs> right. And uh Fort Witch Be a Scramble kind of did that for Sean, I think. I I would agree with that. Yeah. I Sean would agree with that. <laughs> I've been playing another game that I really enjoyed also. Okay. Uh, and that is Life is Strange 2. Yeah. Yeah, Amy and I have been looking forward to it. Uh, Amy actually recommended the first Life is Strange to me and Max right. for another episode of Play This. We both played it. We both loved it. I especially loved it. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've I've played Life is Strange Before the Storm with Amy. I've played The Adventures of Captain Spirit right. with Amy. Like I've played all of the Life is Strange universe games. And none of them have been bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, some some have been less good than others. Yeah. But I'd say each has been a pretty enjoyable experience. Sure. And 
Life is Strange 2, the first episode came out uh, just this past week. Now, this one I completely missed out on because I was sound asleep for the entire time they were playing. <laughs> yeah, like Sean went to bed. Amy and I were like, let's start Life is Strange 2. And then at 5 a.m. we finished the chapter <laughs> and went to bed. <laughs> and it's funny. I, I've been noticing a lot of disdain for this game. Uh, first, because the price for the whole season is $40. Mm-hmm. Uh, opposed to Life is Strange Season 1 being $25. Right. And also, like, you being able to buy the first episode separately, you cannot do that with Life is Strange 2. Mm. Uh, which which is... I think that latter part especially is a fair complaint. It's nice to be able to, like, try an episode, sure. you know, before you commit to the whole season. Especially if it's being released episodically. You know, it doesn't really yeah. make any sense. Yes, yeah. So I, I think that's a little weird. I do think already that the game will be worth forty dollars, okay? Because it really, it really does sort of upgrade the production values of like everything. True. And the other complaint I've seen is that it doesn't star Max or Chloe, right? <laughs> it, it doesn't focus on the cast they got attached to in the first Life is Strange, right? And I really like the new cast of Life is Strange too. Okay. Um. It focuses on, uh, as we've mentioned in the previous episode, uh, Sean and Daniel Diaz. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're two brothers, and the tragedy happens, and then they're just stuck on the road, and they're homeless, and they're trying to get down to Puerto Lobos, Mexico, from, like, Seattle, Washington. Right. And yeah, I, man, I really dig it. Like, that was a really good first episode. The characters are really well done. Uh, the production values are great. Uh, the choices are really cool. Like, one of the things I was most excited about is the the developer saying that basically the decisions you make as Sean, the older brother, will affect what kind of kid Daniel, the younger brother, ends up being. Right. And uh, there's already some really great utilizations of that in the first episode. <laughs> okay. Also, like... The subject matter and the tone, obviously, like, this is a story game, and I don't want to go into too much detail or spoil too much, Mm -hmm. but they really tackle some subjects that I wasn't expecting. Mm, Okay. Um, Like, they really actually go into some current event stuff. Oh. And and the way they tackle that, the perspective from which they tackle that... Mm -hmm is such a cool thing to see in a video game in 2018. Okay. You know, it it shows a perspective that I think deserves to be shown. Okay. And I loved the first episode. It was really good. I think if they keep this up, Life is Strange 2 might be better than the first game. And I think wow. more people I think more people should give it a chance. I think it's a story worth experiencing. Now, one thing I want to ask you about, and feel free to be as vague about this as you think is required. Sure. Um, So in the first Life is Strange, one of the core gameplay components of the game is that uh, the main character has a a limited control over time. Yes. And is able to use that to kind of defy a lot of tropes that exist in this sort of like, not quite point and click, but you know, like story-driven adventure game. Is yeah. there anything similar that you've encountered so far? So, one one kind of dock against Life is Strange 2 is that one of the things I loved about Life is Strange 1 is the rewind feature, the ability that you had limited control over time and could kind of 
for the most part, reverse any decision you made. And this, like, solved a lot of problems inherent in sort of this telltale format where, right. like, you know, you'll make a decision, you'll choose a dialogue option, and they'll say something completely outside of what you wanted them to say. <laughs> in Life is Strange 1, if that happened, you could rewind and pick the other thing, and things mm-hmm. are Gucci, things are gravy, right. things are tasty and smooth and good. That they were. But uh, the whole time travel thing is not present in Life is Strange 2. Sure. And there were a couple points where uh, Amy would select something that was not her intent to select. Right. And, we, and we were just stuck with that decision. So that's a little disappointing. But there is kind of... There is a new superpower present in the game. Okay. And although the first episode doesn't focus on it too much, uh, from a mechanic perspective, mm-hmm. you can tell that it's going to over okay. the course of the game. That's right? cool. They're building up to it, and obviously, like I, I definitely see like future episodes sort of making making that power a major mechanic, and that's really interesting. Another mechanic that's just in the game right now is sort of basically Daniel is a mechanic. While you're exploring an area, sometimes Daniel will follow you. Hmm. Uh, sometimes he'll run off and go do his own thing, and. If you're doing things around Daniel, there will usually be a context-sensitive option to interact with that thing with Daniel, oh, or to cool. interact with it by yourself. Okay, and 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 yeah, like there there's some cool moments as a result of getting to interact with things with Daniel. Nice. Uh, there's some great little moments that I've experienced. Now, Life is Strange Two is off to a fantastic start. I'm really looking forward to finding out when we're getting the next episode. We don't cool. know that yet. I'll look forward to hearing more about it. Yeah. Because I'll be asleep while you're playing it. So that is everything we've been playing for this episode. Some good games, man. We've like September was a good month for video games. It was. And September was also a good month for Sean to play through a game that I recommended to him last episode. And I did that. (laughs) You sure did. (laughs) So I recommended to Sean the game Zero Escape, Nine Hours, Nine Persons, Nine Doors, also known as 999. Yes. Uh, 999 was a game developed by Chunsoft uh, before Spike Chunsoft was a company. <laughs> like, there was just Spike, and there was just Chunsoft, right. and then they merged. And notably, it was localized by Axis Games. Uh, one cool thing about Axis Games is that Zero Escape is a trilogy, but it initially sold so poorly, the first two games sold so poorly in Japan that it wasn't going to be a trilogy they weren't going to make the third game but with the help of the american fan base and access games like helping right uh helping them with development and helping them bring it over uh the third game got made which which is neat access games is just filled with staff members that were really passionate about the zero escape <laughs> franchise good for them yeah as we've established this episode, the writer and director of 999 is Kotaro Uchikoshi, right. a guy who makes some really trippy stuff. He's He made this one series called, like, Ever 9, Never 11. Like, <laughs> uh, Jesus fucking Christ. 
what is wrong with this man? Why can't he name things? <laughs> and like he he makes a lot of stuff that sort of subverts expectations or has some some major like trippy twists, you know. I'm releasing my new game. It's called Four and Fifteen Never Die Twelve. Look forward to it. <laughs> anyway, the it's the... about five people who get stuck in a bank vault and die. I'm sorry. Go on. The art is by Kinu Nishimura, who has a really cool art style. Uh-huh. I really like the art style of this game. Uh, it it has kind of an anime look, but with a bit of a western touch to it. Yeah. And it's it's a neat look. I really like it. I agree. Uh, Nishimura has also drawn some stuff for some Street Fighter games and and some other miscellaneous stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I like their work. Nine 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 was initially released for the Nintendo DS, uh, December tenth, two thousand and nine. I bought this game uh, about a week after it came out because I was on the website Destructoid <laughs> and saw a review for it that gave it a 10 out of 10. Wow. And I had not heard of this game until I read that review. Right. And went, well, that sounds pretty good. And I bought it. (laughs) (laughs) I bought it. uh, The power of games journalism. (laughs) I bought it. I loved it. And... And that was that was the main version of the game for a long time. An iOS version that sort of stripped a lot of elements of it came Mm -hmm. out sometime in the 2010s. And then... 999 was remade for the PS4, PC, and Vita. Right. Alongside with a remastered port of its sequel, The Virtue's Last Reward, in a package called The Nonary Games. Yes. And that came out March 24th, 2017. So one fun thing I did for this recommendation is, is that although I played the original DS version in 2009, I recommended the Nonary Games remake to Sean to play through. And I actually got to watch him play through a pretty decent chunk of it. Mm -hmm. Part of this was because I'd recommended the DS version to Max a while back, and he did not like it at all. (laughs) Uh, Not for for the podcast, just as a friend that recommends video games to his other friend before the podcast was something that we had even thought of the prequel before play this yes people recommended games to each other because they liked them (laughs) welcome to play this zero (laughs) two persons one game didn't like it uh but another reason i recommended the nonary games to sean is that i heard that the game had some quality of life enhancements that sort of fix some things that Max in particular didn't like about the Nonary games. Right. Uh, about 999. So this is what Sean and I did. Yeah. And and a quick spoiler-free plot summary is that basically the game is about nine people. Uh, nine persons, if you will. <laughs> uh, who are trapped in... This locale, uh, they are not sure what the locale is at the beginning, right? Uh, but they they wake up, they're each like trapped in a room, and they bust out like by solving a puzzle, basically. Uh, and some things become clear. The first is that they all have bracelets with a different number on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you play as Junpei, a character that has the number five on his bracelet. Right. Um, they are trapped in there by a mastermind named Zero, mm-hmm. uh, whose motives and and identity are a mysterious secret. There are several doors with a number painted on them in red that can only be gone through by combining the numbers on the bracelets in certain ways. 
uh, using a thing called digital roots. And to escape the place from which they are captured, uh, the group has to find a door with the number nine on it and go through that door. Right. So, uh, and they must do it within nine hours. Nine hours, nine, nine persons, persons nine, nine doors. Uh, does what it says on the tin. It sure does. They really delivered. <laughs> <laughs> so what we always like to do is, uh, before we go into our in-depth discussion, we like to give our spoiler-free impressions of the game. And if you're wondering whether to jump into the whole discussion or not, and you haven't played it, and this sounds interesting to you, Zero Escape is one of those games where... Uh, it really sort of relies on you experiencing the story while knowing very little about it. Mm. It really puts a lot of stock in its twists, and there are some very big twists in the game. That is certainly true. So if if you're interested in this, uh, you might want to not be spoiled on some of the big surprises in this game, of which we will be talking about in depth. That is, yes, we will. So for those of you that are still on the fence, we have our spoiler-free impressions. Sean, I recommended this game to you, and what are your spoiler-free impressions of the game? I think that 999 is a really interesting and ambitious game, and I wish that the ideas that are incorporated into the game had been executed on better than they were. Yeah, um, I think there's a lot of cool stuff going on. And a lot of it is done in a clumsy or ham-fisted kind of way. Yeah. Um, I also, while I'm appreciative of a lot of the quality of life things they did to make it easier to get the game's various multiple endings. Yeah. Um, I really wish that the user interface that they have that kind of lets you do that, I wish that it had been explained better. Yes. Um, I found, I'll go into more detail during the spoiler section, but... I found it very frustrating to kind of navigate the timeline of the game and figure out what I needed to do to unlock new endings. Yeah. I, in fact, I would say that frustration was kind of the name of the game a lot of the time. <laughs> like a lot of the time it's like, wow, this is a really interesting idea. I wish that, you know, it had been incorporated into the story in a more natural way. Or, wow, you know, this is a really interesting gameplay concept and I wish that it hadn't been executed in a way that felt so kind of awkward and clumsy um, right i think that there's a there's a gem of a great game in there and it's just covered in just enough layers of like frustration that it would be difficult for me to recommend to other people right and you've I, you've said this before off mic mm -hmm. that if this wasn't a game that you had to play for the podcast you would have given it up very early yeah i would have pulled a max i think yeah i would have because what happened with max is he, he got one ending and then realized how difficult it would be to get other endings yeah, uh, and how frustrating it would be and stopped. Yes. And I think that probably would have happened to me too. I would have gotten the ending I got, which I didn't like very much when I got it. And <laughs> yeah. I just think to myself, well, that was stupid and put it down and never pick it back up. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, on, the, on the whole, I'm glad I finished it. I'm glad. Uh, it's definitely, I'm glad you're glad. It's definitely a better game when you play through the whole thing, uh, which I think is true of most games with multiple endings. Right. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a uh, it's a tough one for me. It was tough for me to get into altogether, and uh, I would say that if you are a fairly patient person and someone who can really see kind of a diamond in the rough in terms of a game, go for it. You know, see what happens. Yeah. Um, but 
just like thinking about the friends I have who are gamers off the top of my head who haven't already played 999, it would be difficult for me to say to like my brother, for instance, like, hey, Ryan, I think you should really play this game because right. he would hate it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's true of a lot of my <laughs> other gamer friends. Your brother, Ryan, I remember ruining tabletop games for him. <laughs> Uh, so now you get to do this mea culpa on the air yeah 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 yeah. uh (laughs) we sean and i and a couple of our other friends uh, tommy and and max actually had discovered well i i chiefly had discovered (laughs) uh that a fan-made pokemon tabletop game uh was being made on the internet and i loved pokemon so much and i came up with a great idea for a way to incorporate the Pokemon setting into a tabletop game. Right. That I uh that I ran this for for Sean and Tommy and Max. And uh first of all, that was an amazing time. Yes. Yeah, like that, that was so much fun. But second of all, the Pokemon tabletop adaptation, especially in this incarnation of it, it's gone on to have several refreshes that kind of get it more right every time. Mm-hmm. This tabletop was so concerned with emulating the Pokemon battle system uh, in a way that worked in a tactical tabletop format. Right. Uh, they were so concerned with, with doing that that the game is just a complicated, super, super, like, mechanically intimidating uh, mess of a system. It's fucking exhausting. Yeah. And what's funny is that, like, it wasn't complicated enough for them just to emulate the Pokemon experience on a tabletop. Right. They made it more complicated by yes. adding like dozens of classes and subclasses for trainers to be. Yes. So you're in this situation where like, let's say you have a full team of six Pokemon. Yeah. Whenever you're battling with them, you're like leveling them up and dealing with their character sheets. Yeah. And then also. Every, yeah. Every po your, your character and all of your Pokemon each have their own character. We sheet. have like binders. <laughs> I got you binders. Um, And then on top of that, right, like every time you get a certain number of badges, like uh, uh, from Pokemon gyms, you have to like level up your trainer and pick abilities and maybe you're like cross-classing. Yeah. I mean, it's like playing AD&D and you have seven characters. Yeah. It's so dumb. Yeah, I know. Like, (laughs) and and we're playing the Pokemon game and... Sean's brother Ryan didn't have much to do, so so we were like, "Hey, why doesn't your brother come in for us? For why doesn't he join the campaign and make a character and and play with us?" And yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Ryan Ryan likes Pokemon. He likes he likes acting. He enjoys improv. Maybe right. he'll like role playing. And uh, I think he did like the role playing. He likes he did <laughs> like yeah he did like the role playing part. But like the the system was so overwhelming, he had to do so much math. He had to keep track of so many characters simultaneously that he played two sessions with us, and then I never saw him for years. <laughs> <laughs> like he, suddenly he started avoiding me because he didn't want to just tell me that he didn't want to play the game anymore. And you know what? I don't blame him. Yeah, no, I I don't either. Uh, but from that point forward, whenever he played a new role playing game, stuff that was more streamlined mm-hmm. and more rules light and like less intimidating. Like, like we would ask Ryan if he was interested and I'd just see flashbacks. Like <laughs> just like I'd see the trauma in his eyes for right. what I put him through. <laughs> and uh, he has never touched a tabletop system since. No. Poor, um, poor Ryan. But was, so yeah, maybe nine 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 wouldn't be his thing either. Yeah. 
I guess my spoiler-free impressions of 999 is that I, uh, Sean's experience with it made me realize how rose-tinted my experience with Zero Escape was with 999, <laughs> uh, to an extent. Sure. I, I still do really love the game. I still do really enjoy it. But this definitely helped me realize that Zero Escape 999 was the game that introduced me to the visual novel genre. Right. Right? And as a game that introduced me to this kind of game existing as a concept, I was blown away. You know? Sure. It, it, uh, like, the fact that a game could sort of feel like a book, you Mm -hmm. know? Sort of give you the things that are great about books, but also be, (laughs) like, an interactive experience that you can play and make decisions in. Right. Um... No, it, it like opened a new world to me, and I thought it was a great story to introduce me to that world. Okay. You know, and you know, I I loved, I loved the story, I loved the characters, I loved the twists, and I I'm a guy that can be kind of a sucker for getting multiple endings and things, <laughs> so I had a lot more patience for it uh, than than Sean ended up having uh, in a game in a version of the game that was harder to get the endings in, right? Uh, and more tedious, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What's funny is, A, its flaws, I think, are a little apparent 10 years later. Mm-hmm. And uh, and one thing that's interesting is watching Sean play through a game, a version of the game that is apparently an upgrade. Uh, I found a lot of stuff that I, was, I, that I missed about the DS version. Mm-hmm. And the two versions of the game have a lot of differences. And they both have so many... Like, the Nonary games has some differences that make it a better game than the DS version, mm-hmm. but it has a lot of changes that make it a worse game. Okay. To the point that, like, I th- <laughs> I think, like, I think that no definitive version of the game exists as a result. Right. But I'd probably lean towards recommending the DS version, especially if I'm recommending it to a person that's that's patient enough to deal with the end, getting to deal with the little added tedium, because I think the... I think the narrative kind of loses something in the PS4 version. Okay. But uh but yeah, those those are my those are my spoiler-free thoughts. I think I'll be able to give a more concise uh breakdown of my thoughts once we're on the other side of the fence. Well, then let's get in there, right? Unless oh. there's anything else you want to cover. Yeah, if if you if you want to be spoiler-free, uh, I've got timestamps for the rest of the episode in the mm-hmm. description as always. But for those of you that don't care, or those of you that have played the game, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> so obviously, there's some pretty major elements of the game that we can have discussion about. We can talk about the narrative, we can talk about the game design, we can talk about the presentation. They're all so important to the game for different reasons, mm-hmm. obviously. I'm not sure which one to start with. Do you have a preference? <laughs> uh, we could do the narrative first. I think that's fine. Okay, cool. Yeah, so the story of the game um, is... Obviously, like very complex, uh, yes. has so many like webs, right? That that uh that are weaved throughout the thing. Um, you you start out as Jumpei, being very like fish out of water, not really knowing what's going on. And through the game, you sort of get all these pieces that you <laughs> gradually put together. And some of those pieces are like in different endings, right? Yeah. 
There is an extent, though, to which you just get a crash course on a lot of wacky shit, like, right out <laughs> the gate. Yeah. Like, you escape from your initial room, which, incidentally, I really like that puzzle. Uh, yeah. I think that's fun. Cool. Uh, you kind of start off, and you're in, like, uh, a room, like a cabin on a ship, mm. uh, or apparently you are, I guess. And, mm. uh, you, you know, like, within a couple of minutes of you, of your character, Junpei, kind of waking up and taking stock of the situation the window bursts open and water starts flooding in. And so yeah. you have to escape from this puzzle room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course there's no actual time limit, you know, it's just kind of like this, this danger that's narratively there. Yes. Yes. Um, but you're kind of like escaping as the water's coming up and it was very exciting. Um, but then you get out and you run into all these other characters and suddenly like you're learning about what digital roots are yeah. and this mm-hmm. and that digital roots, boy, that this guy loves digital roots. That's, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's funny, like, to, it's funny how you go from having no idea what they are and not really caring what they are to at mm. the end going, like, okay, nine and three, uh, yeah. ten, uh, take the one and the zero, that'd be one. Like, just yeah. being able to, like, knock them out really quickly. Yeah, like, uh, Digital Roots, I guess a quick crash course for those of you that are kind of jumping into this discussion blind is... Uh... Which I mean, like, why? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you're Max and you just want to hear us talk. Sure, sure, that's fair. <laughs> Yeah, I've we've actually had some people that uh some some of our listeners actually have just like listened to our spoilery discussion <laughs> even like after the warnings like we like I've I've had some people talk to me about the Pyre episode it's like yeah I I really liked your your Pyre discussion um <laughs> but I kind of know all about it now. <laughs> um I I I will say that I am uh I'm not normally someone who cares about spoilers very much at all. Uh, this game does rely on, you know, yeah. the narrative being unspoiled to such a degree that I just like to reiterate that if you plan on playing this game, you should stop listening until use the timestamps to go past this part. Yeah. Like if you have any scintilla of a notion that you want to play this game. Yeah. And then come come back when you're done playing it because we got some stuff to say. We do. We got some stuff to say. We uh, do. But yeah. Uh, but I guess if you forgot, digital roots <laughs> are are like uh, just a weird way to to add numbers basically. Yeah. Like basically like if a number has more than one digit in it, then you add those numbers together and then you keep doing it until you have one digit. So if you have like 36. Yeah, if you have like 36, then you add 3 and 6 together and get a 9. Right, and 9 would be the digital root of 36. Yeah, or if you have like 48, you know, you add 4 and 8 together and get 12 and then you add one and two together to get three. Right. So 48 digital root would be three. Yeah. That's what that is. Yeah. And so you, you learn what digital roots are. And it's funny because there's all these parts in the narrative where like the characters or like Junpei in his head is adding together all these digital roots. Yeah. And I very quickly just started skipping through them and not caring what he was doing. Right. Because otherwise you're just sitting there like, Oh God, and I got to remember like what numbers are associated with each person. Cause each person is associated with a number, right? Right. Like Junpei is five. And then you have, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. One cool thing that I like uh, about the narrative is that each, each person with a numbered bracelet in the narrative sort of gives themselves a code name uh, based on their bracelet's number. Right. So number one is this old guy named uh, who names himself Ace mm-hmm. because you know because Obviously, it's, yeah right. That's uh, the value of of you know an Ace. Yeah. Num- uh, number two is this blind guy who names himself Snake uh, because uh, Snake Eyes. Yeah. 
Oh, Snake Eyes? Is that it? That's what I thought it was. uh, Yeah, I thought it was me. I thought maybe the explanation was that because the number two kind of just looks like a snake bending in a weird way. No, well, the first thing I thought of was like, you know, if you're playing dice and you roll two ones, that's Snake Eyes. Yeah, that's Snake Eyes. That's the worst thing you can get. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, there's, There's also kind of a fun other meaning there in that a snake doesn't really sense with its eyes a sense it uses its other senses to see uh kind of like snake does because he's (laughs) blind uh that was cool Mm -hmm. uh number three is santa is santa uh which (laughs) they they sort of had to bend over to localize that one uh the the japanese word for three is san (laughs) so he's santa He's that where I thought they were going with it first is he's going to be like, yeah, I'm Santa, you know, like, ho, ho, ho. He hoes three times. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a good. Yeah, that right. would have been really good. Number four is this girl as uh, this girl like with pink hair named Clover. And she actually has like she ends up having some lore about her that involves four leaf clovers. Mm-hmm. And you're <laughs> uh, jump a number five. Uh, like he, he literally is like, OK, uh, like there's. uh Junpei's childhood friend uh, is the number six bracelet. Her name ends up, uh, her real name is Akane. She ends up going by the code name June because right. it's the sixth month of the year. And before anyone gives each other code names, she calls him by his real name, which is Junpei. <laughs> so, uh, so Junpei goes, okay, now my cool code name is going to be, and everyone's like, well, don't give yourself a code name. We already know your name is Junpei. <laughs> uh, which I thought was funny. It was. It was good. Uh, the number seven bracelet just names himself Seven, he, which is he great. He wound up being one of my favorite characters. Mine too. It took him a little while to grow on me. Yeah. But looking back, him just being like, hi, I'm Seven. You know, like that's yeah. just completely in character for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, he's uh, he's an amnesiac at the start of the story. Yes. He can't remember anything about himself. Yeah. And he's just kind of like a, like a dumb muscle head, yeah. but... Uh, but he was really great for the dynamic. The number eight bracelet is this older woman, uh, kind of the token fan servicey design that's in every <laughs> Zero Escape game, uh-huh. uh, who calls herself Lotus. Yeah, I forget why eight has to do with Lotus. I think Lotus is like an eight-petaled flower. Oh yeah, something like that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, and she. <laughs> Um, you discover throughout playing the game that Lotus is actually like a very competent computer programmer. Yes. That's what she does in her private life. But for some fucking reason, she's in a belly dancing outfit. Yeah. Uh, and she's just in that for the whole game. Yeah. I think at one point, like, it's just like, okay, you're a computer programmer. Why are you wearing a belly dancing outfit? And she's like, it's my hobby or something. <laughs> right. She just like right. says like a throwaway thing. It's like, I thought it'd be fun. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah. yeah. Um the guy with the ninth bracelet dies right. uh before he gets a code name. So he's just known as the ninth man he, throughout most of the game. Yeah. He's Which just, is kind of a cool code name. Yeah, that's pretty cool. The ninth man. Right. Uh he's like this sort of like a very nerdy looking dude. Like he's got these glasses and he's very like terrified looking at all times. Right. And he's he kind of just like looks like sort of uh the embodiment of like uh, an adult man who still gets shoved in the locker for lunch money. <laughs> like, that seems to be kind yeah. of, like, the design philosophy for the Ninth Man. That's fair. And, yeah, basically, like, the the sort of inciting incident of everything, right? Mm-hmm. The the thing that really kicks things off is, every like, everyone is basically given this rule set about how to enter number doors and stuff. And basically, like, you have to... Like, three to five people have to combine their bracelet numbers in such a way 
that the digital root of their combined bracelet numbers is the number of the door. Yes, exactly. And and those people have to enter together and then like scan their bracelets on on a sensor on the other side of the door. And if they don't do that within a requisite period of time, a bomb inside their stomachs will go off and kill them. Right. Um, the ninth man quickly like holds Clover as a hostage or something, mm -hmm. uh, has people scan their bracelets so he can go through the number seven door, or the number eight door. Yeah. Because he believes that the bomb in the stomach thing is a hoax. And he goes in, quickly realizes that it's not a hoax. <laughs> uh and then dies. Then, right. then the bomb explodes inside his belly, and uh, and he fucking dies. And uh, later on, you go into the room where his body is. Yeah. And find out some stuff in there. Yeah. Gross, gross <laughs> body parts all over the place. Like I, I remember, I remember when I read the description of like his body, like in the room for the first time, being like, "Oh wow, this is like really well written." <laughs> um, some some of the uh i I'd, I'd say maybe i was a bit impressed by the newness of experiencing sure, sure. that in a video game i get you that was definitely actually one thing that really bothered me right was that uh you know essentially you can because you don't have two screens yeah you can swap between a sort of phoenix Wright style interface where you're just seeing character dialogue yeah and a uh more visual novel style interface where you see a lot of descriptive text along with character dialogue yeah and i kept wanting to turn off the descriptive text because so much of it was written really poorly right like I went in and I saw the blood on the wall and it looked like ketchup with little sprinkles of mustard. Like that line is not in the game, <laughs> but that's kind of my impression of what a lot of the writing was like, <laughs> especially when gore is being described, which it often is in detail yeah. when it's being described. Worth mentioning though, that all the descriptive dialogue is in the third person, not the first person, which, oh, ends, right, up, yes. which ends up being a major story element. <clears throat> that in, is true. In the DS version of the game, uh, the dialogue all happened on the top screen, mm -hmm. and the descriptive text all happened on the bottom screen. Right. And uh, and that ended up being a major narrative plot point. In a way that you do not expect <laughs> yeah. going into the game, in a really bizarre way that you don't expect. <laughs> um, but at any rate, yeah, like I, I kept wanting to switch to just the dialogue, and but then if you do that, in addition to missing really florid descriptions of what the insides of someone's body looks like, yeah. you can also miss kind of like hints and things, you know, yeah. that you would obviously want to know. Yes, there, there's a lot of key information that's in the descriptive text, and in the in the PS4 slash PC slash Vita version of the game, it's an option to just never see that stuff <laughs> right. and miss it completely. Yeah, which is... It's a shame that I can't miss it completely because I don't miss most of it. <laughs> but what are you going to do? Yeah, like it's 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 so it feels so short-sighted to make that an option in the game, but make but like the original game like has you rely on the descriptive text for like hints and clues so often right. that like that it really <laughs> it really shouldn't have been an option to just be able to skip it or they should have put more thought into it and made sure that like the plot important stuff was still worked into the right. the adventure mode somehow yeah instead of just sort of being a straight those two modes were just a straight port of the top screen and a straight port of the bottom screen right, right? yeah uh the dialogue part being called adventure mode and the bottom part being called uh novel mode mm-hmm 
it like it turns out basically there's a lot of plot points in this so we should yeah. probably like fast fast forward through them um like the the big things are let that it turns it becomes very clear pretty early on that zero is not just a spooky man <laughs> watching the game from a television monitor. Mm-hmm. Zero is participating in the game. Right. They're one of the people with numbered bracelets. Yeah, and all of the stuff happening is basically automated so that Zero can participate. Right. It turns out that there was another game that ran similarly to this, actually pretty much identically to this right. without murders, that happened nine years ago. The number nine pops up in the narrative a whole lot. <laughs> it sure does. Uh, where a company called Candle Pharmaceuticals uh, runs a scientific experiment right. on a group of 18 kids yeah. to sort of test uh, the ability for them to communicate psychically with each other. They like They go back and forth a lot as to kind of... I think the nature of the tests is pretty clear from when you first find out about them. Yeah. But what Candle Pharmaceuticals was trying to get out of the tests, <laughs> you know, is is kind of murkier until the very end of the game. Right. At first, they're like, oh, they want to be able to control the minds of the other kids. Right, and right. And it's communication. And then, <laughs> um, the uh, so you, you discover throughout the course of the story that right. one of the people who is in the games with you is actually the CEO of Candle Pharmaceuticals and the yeah. guy who authorized the tests. Right. That being Ace, the older man who has the one bracelet. Yeah. Uh, and you also discover that he has a condition that I'm not going to try to pronounce. Uh, prospagnosia or something? Good luck. Yeah. And uh, essentially the the uh, result of the condition is that he is uh, incapable of recognizing people by looking at their faces. Yeah. Like to him, one face just looks like another face. Yeah, I think it's um, prosopagnosia. I think so. So you discover at the very, very end of the game in this kind of like almost throwaway line <laughs> that he was running the test specifically because he wanted to be able to sort of use this psychic ability to look at other people's faces. Yeah, he wanted to see pl- <laughs> he wanted to see faces, and he was hoping that. Like, through, like, a psychic connection, he'd be able to see faces through the other people's eyes. Right, right. Yeah. Um, you know, like, uh, and I think there's an element of that which is, like, interesting and tragic and mm-hmm. gives him some character, but, uh... Like many things in this game, it could have been executed better. I get that, yeah. And I say that, you know, <laughs> I came away from this game with first being... Or first... I came away from this game with Ace being one of my favorite characters. Yeah, he's I cool. Think he, yeah, he's got a really interesting arc. It's fun that he's kind of the villain of the story. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, I just, you know, I, I think that it's a it's a shame that his story ended in that way. Yeah, I, I, I get that. That's, that's fair. But speaking of the villain of the story, mm-hmm. so it turns out that this game was conducted nine, nine years ago with these kids. Nine of them were... In this boat, uh, you find out it's it's a uh, it's a boat called the Gigantic. It's a sister ship of the Titanic. Yeah, it's so. it's like it's practically like a replica of the Titanic. Yeah, and the other nine kids are like in a facility somewhere trying to uh, communicate to like their their counterparts psychically how to solve all these puzzles and how to get to the nine door and how to right. Um, and, and the other facility is kind of modeled to look just like the Gigantic. Yeah. Uh, so you know, ideally, the kind of the kind of thing that Candle Pharmaceuticals was hoping for is that these kids who are in the facility 
would be able to solve the puzzles in their version of the gigantic, you know, in their kind yeah. of fake version, and then somehow communicate it to these other kids. I, I think the I think the first group of kids was actually were actually given the answers so that they could communicate them to the other kids. Right, right. Well, in in any case, you know, yeah. their goal is to somehow psychically transmit. Yes. These Use, solutions using something called the morphogenetic field. Yeah, which is like. I almost said it's a real thing. It's obviously not. Right. Um, but there is a philosopher. Yeah. Uh, uh, Sheldrake. Yeah, it was a real philosophy. Yes. Yeah, it was a, it was a real scientific... Uh, Notion. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was a real theory. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was it, it was obviously like pseudoscience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like a, there was a lot of... There's a lot of interesting uh, theories and... <laughs> and uh and like concepts like name dropped in this game yes. that are real you yeah, know? yeah yeah i um i actually have a degree in philosophy i have a bachelor of arts in philosophy yeah uh, and so it was really it was to an extent really fun to like be playing through this game and you're like solving a puzzle with Clover, and she suddenly says, "Like, hey, have you ever heard of Vlock socks?" <laughs> and she starts talking about the ship of Theseus, which is this kind of uh philosophy of i guess uh well it's anyway it's this kind of philosophical notion that i learned about in college right um and that was fun to see and there's a lot of moments like that yeah the uh characters that you're solving puzzles with suddenly just want to drop everything and talk to you about (laughs) some scientific or philosophical (laughs) concept yeah like you're in the middle of solving a puzzle and then like saints will just be like have you ever heard of the gansfeld experiment (laughs) right (laughs) um (laughs) And it never feels natural. Yeah. I no, can't it's... think of one of those where it's like, oh, yeah, this is something that they do. Yeah. And that ends up being kind of a staple for the whole Zero Escape franchise. <laughs> like, they, like, yeah, like the characters will constantly just like break the tone and, and the, and the pacing of the game to explain a philosophical concept to you. And what's it's... funny is, what's funny too is that like they, it's not just text, right? Yeah. Like when Clover was explaining the ship of Theseus to me, it shows you like a ship. Yeah, like, there's a graphic of a ship that's made up of different parts. And, yeah, you know, I mean, they really go into it in yeah. a way, you know, in no, kind they... of this layman's way that kind of you know gets you to understand it. Yeah, they like teach you these concepts, like you right. actually like learn these things as a player. But it almost feels like I don't know, like an edutainment game, like Sonic <laughs> Schoolhouse. You know, like okay, I've gone <laughs> to the classroom. Now it's time to learn addition. <laughs> hey, kids, gotta go fast. Have you heard of Schrodinger's cat? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's yeah. exactly what it's like. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. So we've we've really been jumping around from thing to thing. Yeah. Um, I I like. I I, th- I think I'm on track to to finish um to, to finish like explaining like the main the main crux of everything the main chunk. You may think you are. Yeah. I I, th- I think I'm getting there. Go so ahead. yeah. So basically, like, during this experiment, they get to a point where they're kind of desperate for the psychic thing to work. Right. Uh, So Ace traps one of the little girls in a furnace, uh, forcing her to use the morphogenetic field to solve a puzzle before uh, the furnace goes off and incinerates her. Right. uh, And she dies. (laughs) Um, But what actually happens is it creates a split timeline. In one timeline, the girl dies. In the other timeline, <laughs> Junpei, nine years in the future, connects with her psychically because he's his childhood friend and love, Akane. Right. Uh, because she's June. 
uh, he psychically connects with her and solves the puzzle for her and she survives. So basically, June slash Akane uh, then spends the next nine years planning Zero's game where he traps nine people, including the original CEO of Cradle Pharmaceuticals. Where Cradle Zero... Pharmaceuticals. Cradle. Candle. Yeah, not Candle. My Whatever. bad. Yeah. Where he kidnaps all these all these people so that Junpei is put in the situation where he saves her. Right. Uh, and in the process, she also uh, kidnaps all the people responsible for the original killing game and, and basically manipulates Ace into killing all of them accidentally as her revenge. Right. Um, so she uh, ends up being zero. I really hope that you played this game. If you're listening to this, because <laughs> this makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> and, and uh, and when you get to the end of the game, when you get to the point where Junpei connects with nine-year-old Akane psychically, the game reveals that the DS version of the game reveals that the top screen for the whole game has been Junpei's perspective, right? And the bottom screen has been Akane's perspective. Um, it like sort of switches to the first person, and you discover that she's essentially been the narrator of the story. Yeah, exactly. Uh, she's been speaking in the third person the whole time, but at the very end, like she's she's like, "Who am I? I am what will become zero, or whatever." <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and and then she and then she speaks in the first person from that point forward. And in the remake of the game, it reveals that adventure mode, the mode with only dialogue, is Junpei. And novel mode is Akane. Right. And at the end, uh, adventure mode changes to Junpei mode, and novel <laughs> mode changes to Akane mode once it becomes clear uh, which perspectives they are. Yeah. A really cool twist that only could have been done not clumsily as hell <laughs> on a platform that had two screens visible right. at all times. Uh, and I was really intrigued to see how they did that uh, in the remake that only had one screen. Uh, the answer was not as well as the DS did it. Sure. Uh, however, the remake did have a lot of legitimate quality of life improvements, mm -hmm. but it was is really funny to see how having to change the game mechanically, having to change the game's mechanics, uh, kind of compromised the game's original narrative. Right. Um, and they and instead of trying to change the narrative in a way that supported that, they just kind of tried to shove it in there and, uh, <laughs> um. I personally, as someone who has now experienced both versions of the medium, was kind of uh, disappointed by that. Okay. Uh, what, what about you? What are your thoughts on that? I, I have a notion that even if I had been playing the game with two screens, I still would have thought the whole Akane vision thing was a little weird. Like, mm. I like the twist that Akane was zero and that she's right. been communicating to him from the past. I just think that that's a really bizarre way to handle it mm. to the point where like I was in, you know, narrative mode or Akane mode when that twist happened. Right. Um, and then suddenly it starts going, who am I? And I'm sitting there like, what the fuck is this? Right. Um, and uh, I don't know. Like, I think that that it might have been more impactful if they had done more visually to make me realize what was happening. Yeah, I get that. Like, I... I remember feeling that the twist was delivered really well when okay. when I played through it on the DS, and and again my my memory of some of the dialogue and, and descriptive text was much more favorable sure. in in my decade old memory. But I, I remember really being floored by that by that reveal specifically and realizing right. the the whole dual screens thing. Uh, I guess one thing that's also a thing about me is I'm really a sucker for when 
unique capabilities of a platform are uh-huh. used in a creative way. Sure. And uh, and the fact that that the DS's two screens were used as a storytelling twist. <laughs> um, mwah, bono. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can definitely appreciate where you're coming from there. Yeah. I, I think that um, the impact of that twist might also have been lessened from the fact that the moment Akane appeared on screen, I was like, that's fucking zero. <laughs> yeah, And I were... didn't drop that for the entire game. You sure did. Yeah, now, you sure did not. Now, I have to say, I did think that uh, the reveal for Akane is zero is going to be accompanied by more of kind of a face heel turn. Right, of like, oh, she's been evil. Right. Yeah. Like, for instance, uh, when you're playing the Danganronpa games. Right. Uh, those games, you know, traditionally, like, one of the people in your group turns out to have been the yeah. mastermind. Yeah. And uh, typically when that happens, it's sort of like, oh, wow, you know, you've really you've really made an about face and you're an evil bastard. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very kind of apparent. I did not predict that they would, you know, continue to make Akane really sympathetic. Yes. um, In the way that they did. Yeah. But I did uh, believe that she was zero for the entire game. You did. That turned out to be true. Yeah. (laughs) You did believe that. And that, that was true. I actually uh, was completely surprised by the reveal, but I, I did fall for, for her shtick, hook, line, and sinker, you know, I ended right. up being really, really a sucker for the whole uh, childhood friend <laughs> sure. in in love thing, you know. Um, it was a good trope that they yeah. use, yeah. They, I mean, I, I, and they th- use it fairly well, I think. No, they did. I think just, just like I think a lot of my thinking with regard to who Zero was, yeah, was me being familiar with a lot of visual novels like this and yes. going like, you know, they're deflecting way too much from her. Like, yeah, they're trying to make it seem as though she could not possibly be Zero, therefore she must be Zero. Yeah, you're right. I I think if Zeroscape was if Nine 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 was not my first visual novel, I think I would have caught on a lot faster right. too. But it was my first. Uh, <laughs> um, speaking of Akane, uh, when we were we were talking before the spoiler section about um, the kind of degree of sexuality in this game, and right? Whether oh, or right. Not yeah, the gross stuff. Comfortable. Yeah, the gross stuff. Um, and all of that had to do with Junpei's internal monologue about Akane. Oh, yeah. Like, there, there are a couple of times when he's just really horny for her in kind of an awkward and embarrassing way. Oh, jeez. Okay, um, fair enough. And there's also this really long section where... Um, oh, that I like. Yeah. He, yeah, like he's talking about taking an elevator down to an area that, that I they remember think might be flooded. Yeah, and she thinks he's talking about like making her wet in a sexual way. No, no, it's it's the other way. Or the around. other way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, uh, like, yeah, like jump, jump is like, oh, let's let's take this elevator down to this floor, and uh, and you know, then right, Ak- right. and then Akane is like, well, you know, like if if we do that, <laughs> things will get really wet down there <laughs> right and jumpy's like, oh, down there like you know like uh yeah. you know that stupid that anime sort of trope anime, right yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, uh and and then he realizes that she's worried that it'll be flooded yeah two stories down and you know i think that there's there's definitely an extent to which danganronpa for instance is kind of more blatant about it's sexual humor. Yes. Um, but I that's definitely something that stuck with me as I played through the rest of the game. Yeah, I, I guess Junpei is kind of a weird perv at points. <laughs> um I, yeah. I I guess I forget that because there's protagonists in future Zero Escape games where that uh that quality 
is more pronounced than Junpei's. Oh, looking forward to that. Oh boy, I bet you are. Uh, yeah. Yup, yup, yup. For an anime game protagonist, Junpei's pretty innocent, actually. Which is sad. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> also, though, I mean, you know, I mean, I guess if it gets worse, then this doesn't really count. But I was thinking too, like, well, it's two thousand nine, uh, right? You know, we've we've gotten a little bit more sensitive about that as time has gone on. Have we though? <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that we have. Yeah, when you when you look at the the rate at which Danganronpa games like escalate, you know, you become <laughs> less sure. I think. Yeah, so I I did end up liking the story a lot. I think every most characters in the game get really cool arcs, really cool developments. Mm-hmm. You know, they they handle Seven's amnesia in a fun way. One yes. twist I really liked in regards to Seven actually. Once the once the main timeline, the one where Akane lives, is resolved, at one point Seven tells you his memories, and he distinctly remembers Akane dying. Right. Uh, so at the very end, Junpei is just kind of like, uh, they're all just sort of driving a car through the desert because they've escaped. <laughs> this game's this game's weird. I I yeah. know that this game's weird sometimes. And Junpei is just kind of thinking about everything that happened, and he realizes like, wait a second. If we're in the timeline where Akane survives, then the story that Seven told me made no sense. <laughs> like, the only thing that would make sense is if Seven was in on this, <laughs> and he made up having amnesia so that he could guide me towards saving Akane. Right. But that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? And then he looks at Seven, and Seven's, like, smiling to himself. <laughs> and Jumpy's like, what? <laughs> like, like, that means se- like that rocketed Seven up to, like, my top three characters in yeah. that game. Yeah, no, he's really good. Yeah, that was a really fun twist. And, um, and then there are some not-as-fun twists. Yeah. There is this entire... I'm going to call it a subplot because it doesn't actually have any real bearing on the main story. Right. There's this whole thing about this mummy from Egypt <laughs> that is being stored on the ship. And there's all these rumors about how the body was perfectly preserved. And uh, then you kind of learn about all these concepts that essentially suggest to you that the person inside this coffin, this mummy, might actually be immortal. Yeah. And uh, they call the mummy alice because you learn about this concept called all ice yeah which is like ice that doesn't um, melt at the usual melting point of ice yeah it doesn't melt until like 90 degrees or something right um and uh there's a point where you find her coffin and you think she's gonna be in there and you open it up she's not in there yeah and then at the end of the game when you're driving through the desert the last thing that happens in the game is you see alice hitchhiking on the side of the road yeah and that was the dumbest thing that happened (laughs) (laughs) like like the yeah like the very the the last bit like the last second of the game is a picture of alice hitchhiking and then it just says end right. <laughs> uh and i think she's like fully nude also like you see her from behind I, I i don't think she was i think she's she's just in kind of like a skimpy egyptian garb if i'm remembering right i could not be yeah well i think mostly yeah. i was just blown away by how dumb that twist was <laughs> um that that ends up being kind of a tease, you know, for right. the future of the Zero Escape franchise. They do sort of... Like, uh, I'm, I'm playing Virtue's Last Reward now, yeah. and um, you you run into a person who seems to be Alice. Yeah. Uh, you know, who, who may or may not be, I don't know yet. Right. Yeah, so they, they do sort of, you know, expand on, on that concept a bit, like, uh, 
you know, in at least one game in the Xeriscape franchise. Right. Uh, after nine nine nine, but you're you're right. That was that was kind of a weird way to end what was a standalone experience at the time. Right. Um. <laughs> yeah, especially because they start talking about the concept of all ice like kind of late into everything. You know, there are a lot of kind of really interesting stories that you're told throughout the game yeah that almost suggests to you that like reality is slowly collapsing mm-hmm. like you keep running like there's at one point santa i think just goes into this whole thing about like all ice right like right. this water that doesn't freeze or that freezes for too long you know up yeah. to a certain temperature and then you learn i think about um like maybe a particular kind of medicine that just stops working or like ions that start bonding in the wrong way right and how it's just spreading slowly throughout the world and i just got this sense as i was listening to all of this like wow like even if we escape from this horrible situation we're in reality is just folding in on itself and this weird shit is happening that's going to make it you know humans unable to function in the way that they have hmm. like uh so i don't know if they're going to explore that in future games or what right but there's a lot of stuff like that in there yeah they they do some they do some neat things too like they do some fun like little like narrative hints and narrative tricks right like one little touch i liked like you know that i sort of realized after i played the game mm-hmm. is that there are a lot of points in the game where june slash Akane suddenly gets a fever, right? right? She gets a fever and she's about to pass out. And whenever she gets a fever, uh, that's a hint from the game that you're that you're approaching the wrong timeline. <laughs> uh, Akane starts getting hot because she is ceasing to exist. Right, she's and her And her counterpart <laughs> is being burned alive in a furnace. Right, yeah. right. Um, that, like, that was one of those things that didn't click while I was playing it, but then, like, I, I found out later, I'm like, oh... That's cute, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you're. I think a lot of what you say about the narrative being a lot of cool stuff that isn't always executed perfectly is is valid. I think that's, I think that's not a bad point. Um, we, we ended up talking about the game design a lot uh, mm-hmm. because the game design and the narrative are interwoven. Yeah, you uh, really can't discuss one without talking about the other. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I really like about the game. I mm-hmm. think that's a really cool concept. Um, but I guess one thing that we didn't talk about um quite as much in the game in the game design area is the escape rooms themselves the right. rooms that you escape from uh because they are actually built like like escape rooms <laughs> like it's funny right. because escape rooms have really blown up in real life mm-hmm. you know they've they've become like this fun thing that groups of people do they get trapped in a room together and they solve all these puzzles so they can escape it? I actually uh, did one last year in real life. Yeah, I, I did one this year, earlier this year, for a bachelor party. Right. Uh, and we got out with two seconds to spare. <laughs> uh, we, I want to say we had ten minutes to go. Um, it was... Uh, well, look at you. <laughs> it was La-dee-da. Sorry, it, That's okay. Um, it was me and our mutual friends, Chris and Leslie. Um, yeah. And another one of their friends. And it was kind of like a Lovecraftian thing where you had oh, to cool. like do rituals and find like skulls and keys and things like that. Nice. Um, and uh, they have a cute little jump scare at the end. It was very uh, well done. Yeah, I, I do like a lot of the themes that they mm-hmm. come up with. The one I did for the bachelor party was uh, was a Sherlock Holmes themed one where <laughs> where we were in Moriarty's uh, lair. That's cute. And trying to escape from it. Yeah. yeah. I'm a big uh I'm a big fan of the original Sherlock Holmes canon and also a lot of adaptations of that. Yeah. Uh so uh you know I uh, that appeals to me that notion. Yeah, it's neato. 
but yeah, like this game was initially released in in two thousand nine, before this was a trend of any kind. <laughs> uh, but uh, that ended up being pretty much your favorite part of the game, solving the puzzles in these escape rooms. Yes, you know, even though I had frustrations with the narrative, I could generally rely on the escape rooms to be pretty fun. Uh, there nice. were definitely. Like I, uh, I kind of come from a background where I uh, played a lot of puzzle-heavy horror games uh, in kind of the the aughts, you know. Yeah. Um, Resident Evil, Silent Hill, things like that, and so I almost felt nostalgic a lot of the times in the escape rooms because it's like, oh, this reminds me of this puzzle in the Resident Evil remake where you have to, you know, do <laughs> kind of things that are similar to this. Right. Um, and so kind of the really more kinetic escape rooms where it was kind of like finding items and moving them over here and solving you know like puzzles where you're kind of pushing or moving things around yeah those were the ones that i really liked yeah yeah. Um, and there are a number of those that are pretty cool um (laughs) yeah there is one uh that takes place in the first class cabin where there are two rooms that are mostly identical but there's a couple of differences in each one yeah and you have to kind of spot the differences and make things the same in each room yeah. to discover the clues you need to solve the puzzle that one's really cool right uh, <laughs> I'm remembering I'm remembering one one of the puzzles right where mm-hmm. like you're you're sort of like in this lab with like an electric chair in it and uh and there's like sort of a tank underneath the electric chair right <laughs> and uh and you like click a switch and like uh, like the tank lights up and like there's like a dead shark in the tank right. with like a number painted on it yeah there's like uh, a there's like a series of numbers across its belly basically yeah uh, and it's like facing upwards <laughs> it, it's like <laughs> it's like facing upwards and and uh, you have to like use the number on its belly to like uh solve one of the puzzles <laughs> it, <laughs> And uh, and the the thing you said about like that puzzle like really cracked me up. Right, like I got to, I get to this point, and it's it's kind of like when you think about like a Sonic game, like how does Doctor Robotnik get through his own base? Right, you know? yeah. There's like all this wacky shit in there. How can he possibly get through the Death Egg to the control panel or whatever he needs to do? Right, like when you see a detail like that, like this shark belly up under the water with a number written on it. <laughs> You just think about zero going like, okay, I've got to write this number on this dead shark. It's <laughs> going to be important later. <laughs> I have to flip him over right. inside the tank. <laughs> <laughs> like somebody had to do that. Yeah. It was probably zero. That's just really funny to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, so I like the first class cabin. I also, there was this other puzzle that's really fun where you're in kind of a laboratory and yeah. the very first thing that happens is uh, Clover. Uh, yeah, the, the laboratory is like basically like two rooms separated from each other, right? Right, and so Clover goes through this partition, which immediately shuts behind her. Yeah. And she's stuck on the other side of the room. And so you basically kind of have to teach Clover how to play adventure games. Like, you're like, okay, I'm in here. What should I look at? And you're like, okay, look at the numbers on the table. Okay, I'm looking at them. I'm going to come to the door and give you the numbers. Yeah, I copied them down. Um, (laughs) And it's just a lot of kind of going back and forth. Like, you get something you need from Clover. You get something, give it to Clover, and then she uses it to do something in there. Um, And that was just kind of this very fun, almost like vaudevillian double act thing that, that you have to do. It's really funny how... 
like that kind of puzzle is your favorite in so many adventure games. <laughs> like you, you describing it kind of reminded me of what you've told me is your favorite puzzle in the game Tales of Monkey Island because it's the best puzzle in that game. <laughs> uh, where uh, the the character uh, LeChuck, who is generally the villain of the franchise, uh, he's a zombie pirate right. uh, that tries to uh, kidnap Guybrush's girlfriend slash wife a lot of the time and. In Tales, he gets transformed into a human and becomes good for a period of time. And there's one point where you have to teach LeChuck (laughs) how to do point-and-click adventure game stuff. Like using the vocabulary from Monkey Island 1. Yeah, like, you know, like in in Monkey Island 1, there's buttons, you know, like like use. uh, Look at. Look at, talk to. So... (laughs) So like, so it, it creates this puzzle where Guybrush is like teaching LeChuck, and he's and Guybrush is like, "Okay, LeChuck, look at," and then LeChuck goes like, mm-hmm. <laughs> "Tree." <laughs> yeah, right. No, it's it's definitely very similar to that. Yeah, uh, that's kind of the same enjoyment that I got out of it. Nice. Um, there's another kind of cool puzzle where you're in like a furnace room, not the furnace room. Right, Kane's dying, but you know. Kind of, and you have to like shovel coal into the furnace and fire it up to get clues. Yeah, and you're like going up above the furnace and down below it. And yeah, that one was pretty neat. Right. There are also a number of puzzle rooms where it's more like if Professor Layton gave you a math test. <laughs> like yeah. there are some puzzles that are just straight up like Sudoku, but shittier and more complicated. Or like. Uh, there's one where you um you have two kind of like fake cadavers and you're in like a medical room right and you have to switch their body parts around until they weigh the same and each uh, yeah. you have like a separate sheet you have to keep looking at that has their body weights on it and like the weights of their individual parts yeah and so then you're trying to remember like fuck was this this one's leg or that one's leg how much did this weigh again look at this fucking thing i don't remember which leg it was yeah and uh, i wound up just switching parts around until i randomly got it right yeah uh there are a lot of kind of numeric puzzles where it just isn't communicated to you in a good way kind of what you need to do or you know what you need to do but it's such a fucking chore that you don't want to do it yeah and those were the puzzle rooms i didn't like yeah that's that's fair um i guess now we can actually talk about like the final puzzle in the game right so akane uh you know akane is like trapped in the furnace and like a panel comes up in the furnace room in which the puzzle has to be done to solve it. And that's when Junpei and Akane link psychically and Junpei is able to solve the puzzle for her. The puzzle, the last puzzle is like, (laughs) it's like you're, you're simultaneously moving these numbers around to achieve some end. I think you're like putting them in place so that when they cross each other, they add up to nine or something like that. Yeah. It's some stupid thing like that. And then, like, you're simultaneously kind of moving letters down to this kind of almost, like, Scrabble-type thing on the bottom to yeah. spell a password. Yeah. Um, and uh, you can push one of the shoulder buttons to activate, like, this hint mode where it shows you what all the numbers <laughs> are adding up to. Yeah. But every time... First, every couple of times you toggle the hint mode, Jumpay will, like, give you a hint. Yeah. 
but every time he gives you a hint, it makes the puzzle more confusing. <laughs> like, every time Jumpy started talking, like, no, fuck, stop talking. I almost understood what was happening. And now you're just blabbering on about some useless bullshit that is not helping me solve this puzzle. <laughs> and the more frequently you toggle the hint mode, which I was doing frequently because I wanted to solve the goddamn puzzle, yeah. the more frequently you do that, the more Jumpy starts talking until you get to a point where literally every time you toggle the hint mode, whether you're turning it on or off, he says, boy, this is really tough. Maybe I should just start over. <laughs> literally every time you do it. And sometimes you had reset it like literally one toggle ago. Right. So yeah. I, it couldn't be more like the original form of the puzzle. Yeah. And I I mean, I was like squirming in my seat. I was so mad at the game. Yeah. Like I was just furious because it's like, this is supposed to be this really important moment where you're linking up with like your childhood friend and love and whatever, mm. solving this puzzle together, and Junpei will not stop being a dumbass for five <laughs> seconds so that I can solve the puzzle. <laughs> I was so mad. It's just the worst way that game could have ended. Yeah, uh, and uh, and the and the answer to the puzzle ends up being literally the number nine. Like, yeah. like then after you solve like that, after weird... you solve the Scrabble slash Sudoku thing. Yeah, then like then it's like enter password and you just hit the number nine and yeah, uh, yeah. So fun fact, they completely changed it right uh, for the for the Niner Games version of the game, and I. I told you that I would tell you what the original DS version of it is. I remember and it, that. And it's funny that since then you have gone on to describe uh, the the non-regains version of the puzzle as like a sh- a shitty version of Sudoku <laughs> because the in the DS version the final puzzle was literally a Sudoku puzzle. Oh <laughs> it was just Sudoku. It was oh like my God. you you had to solve a Sudoku puzzle. Like I'm like I'm not like. I'm not like I'm not saying it was essentially a Sudoku puzzle. <laughs> right. I'm saying it was literally a Sudoku puzzle. Wow. And <laughs> and uh and that was like the funniest goddamn thing to me <laughs> because like like you know there's so much build up narratively to what happens, right? right? Like you this is the culmination of everything. You get to the end and it's like, "Okay, my girlfriend's life is on the line. This is what I need to do to save her." And then the final boss of the video game is a Sudoku puzzle. <laughs> just I'm just imagining like Ace in full mustache twirling mode. I don't think he has a mustache. No, he never has just, a mustache. Just being like really villainous, snidely whiplash like like yeah. now, Akane, you must solve this puzzle. <laughs> this very same puzzle that your mom solved in the Sunday paper. Sudoku. <laughs> Are you as smart as a middle-aged housewife? (laughs) Find out or you'll burn to death. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, um, that definitely, like, like, the game felt so serious to that point, and then, like, that felt a little silly, that it's like, oh, I'm... I'm doing Sudoku. (laughs) By the way, like, I suck at Sudoku, so I ended up looking up the answer to the (laughs) Sudoku puzzle. But, um, so I think... I think one thing the game gets it right, at least, is that, like, th- that weird new puzzle at least has some gravitas to it. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, this is fucking Sudoku. Right. Uh, at the same time, the new puzzle is stupid. Oh, man. Like, so it, dumb. Uh, yeah, like, it's it's really frustrating, really obtuse, and just strange. And you can kind of tell it was, like, slapped into the game right. as sort of an afterthought. And I, like, after I solved that first puzzle... 
then you get to the part where you have to put the password in. I kind of froze for a second, right? Because I I was just thinking to myself, like, what fucking password? I don't. Nobody told me a password. Like, right. is it the password that you put into the coffin? Right. There's a part where you like open a coffin with a password. This game's weird. Um, but uh, <laughs> and so then Daniel kind of gently prodded me at one point. Yeah. He was basically like, well, "What's the most important number in the game?" or something like that. Like, yeah. He said something. Uh, yeah. Like I, I'm like, well, when. When or the, that's right. Yeah, when 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 the puzzle ended, you saw a number flash on the screen a lot. What was like? What, you saw something flash on the screen a lot. What was the thing you saw flash on the screen a lot? And it was the number nine. Right. Um, so then I put it in. I sat back and I said, "This game sucks." And I watched the credits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, I think that's kind of a cul- like a culmination of like the main thought here is that like there's there's a lot of cool ideas in this game with some wonky executions. I yeah. think you do. I think you did put it very well there. Thank you. Um, yeah, uh, I I think I think the main thing that's left to talk about, I guess, and we can talk about this a little more quickly, mm-hmm. is uh, the presentation of the game, right? Yeah. Um, and it's funny because the two versions we played each have the thing with both of the different versions we played is that there's uh, for most of the presentation there's different takes on each element, right? Mm-hmm. Like the uh, like the the music's basically the same in both versions. Okay. Um, uh, I, th- I thought the soundtrack was pretty serviceable. Yeah. Um, I think there's actually a, a couple of pretty great tracks in, mm-hmm. in 999. No, there's some good stuff in there. Yeah. Like, especially like sort of the sad theme. Yes. Uh, I thought was really good. The theme that sort of plays when you have to save a Kane was really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sean, you in particular, got to hear a lot of that one. So <laughs> I, I'm glad it was good. Right. Uh, but there there is a difference between uh, the visuals in both versions uh, the visuals of the 999 game had like uh, just really, uh, really nice 2D sprite work. Like mm-hmm. the the escape rooms were in 3D, but the but the character art uh, were like sprites. You know, right. uh, like you got to see like really well animated like 2D sprites, uh, and and then like art for for some of the cutscenes. Mm-hmm. The Nonary Games version just used HD art, right? Uh, for the for the character sprites, just detailed drawings of each character that that animated a little bit, mm-hmm. not quite as smoothly as the sprites did, but they still do animate sometimes, sure. and uh, and high definition drawings for for the for the cutscenes. Right. And um, I would say that on the whole, I I liked the game visually. Yeah. Um, you know, I think particularly when you're kind of like looking at backgrounds and moving around through puzzle rooms, it's like okay, this game definitely came out on the Nintendo DS. Right. Um, but I did like the character art. Yeah, I liked the little kind of, you know, uh, kind of direct DVD animation stuff that they had going on. I <laughs> yeah. thought I thought that it kind of enhanced the game and yeah. made the characters more, you know, interesting. Yeah, and uh, I do think that the character designs are really great. Yes, uh, a lot of them are. I really like the way Ace looks. I mm-hmm. think June's design is perfect for who and what she is. Yes, uh, I think Seven looks great. <laughs> uh, Lotus is a little ridiculous, but uh... I I do I have to say though that. Um... I did come out of the game liking Lotus a lot as a character. Oh, yes. I, I agree just, with yeah, that. Yeah, kind of in terms of her personality and her, you know, uh, what she does during the game. I, I really, uh, she was one of my favorites. Yeah, and I think actually one of the things that made her a lot more likable in the Nonary Games version of the game is that one of the biggest differences between the two is the voice acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the DS version has none. <laughs> right. And the PS4 version adds... Uh, full voice acting for like the the novel parts of the game. If yeah. if you're doing the escape rooms, 
uh, the you know you just hear like dit, 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 right. for, for the talking like you do for the entire of the DS game, but for most most of like the visual novel parts of the game, you get to hear voice acting, and the voice acting is fine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, there are, there are some characters who, I guess, I, I don't think there are any bad voice actors in the game. Agreed. I yeah. think that some characters were miscast. Yes. Uh, agreed. Like, I think that Clover uh, <laughs> is one that sticks out for me. Yes. Uh, who's voiced by Wendy Lee, who I, I like a lot of her work. Yeah, she's the voice um, of Bulma in Dragon Ball. Yes. And uh, she... <laughs> She really tries to do a voice that suits Clover, and she can't quite get yeah, there. Yeah, Clover is an 18-year-old girl that looks like a 14-year-old girl. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so so you have the voice of Bulma, the voice of this 40-year-old woman, uh, voiced by this 40-year-old woman, <laughs> trying to sound like a little girl. Right. And it, <laughs> like uh, like I said off of mic, it's, it just sounds... Like Bulma from Dragon Ball is trying to do baby sexy talk for Vegeta. That's what it sounds like. You know, it's like, oh, how do I solve this puzzle here? Like, (laughs) it's uh, it's it's not great. She does the best job she can. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's what's funny is that Clover has a role in Virtue's Last Reward, Mm -hmm. um, a game that had voice acting when it came out in 2012. Right, and Clover's a few years older in that game, and she's voiced by Wendy Lee, and and uh, at least in my opinion, Wendy Lee's voice fits Clover. Like, you know, maybe they, sh- uh, maybe it's not the perfect voice for Clover, but mm-hmm. it fits Clover like fine in that version of the game, okay. right? Yeah. Uh, and so basically, when uh, Nanari Games came out, they recast Wendy Lee as Clover. The, she was right. she reprised her role, but Clover is younger now. She looks like a little kid, and Wendy Lee tries to like make that voice of her sound even younger. <laughs> does not work and yeah. uh that's like it's thanks for coming back wendy lee but um yeah that that's that was unfortunate yeah i i do think there's some really good performances but the voices sound off right yeah. particularly john pay i yeah i was gonna mention that he yeah. when when he first started talking my initial reaction was definitely like this doesn't sound like i would have imagined jump to sound based on what i know he looks like yes um he sounds more like a polite canadian stockbroker but he turns out a really good performance yes exactly i think he's a great voice actor whose voice as it sounds sounds nothing like right uh like a boy in his late teens you know (laughs) Um, but just because this is why we got onto this topic in the first place, Lotus's voice actor does a tremendous job. Yeah, she's um, she's one of the best in the cast. Yeah, just suits the character to a T and also puts in a really excellent performance. Yeah, I think Ace and Snake's voice actors are also highlights. Yeah, they're they both, really good. Yeah. Also, I, I know that you initially were not fond of Seven's voice actor. It grew on me. Yeah, he's, uh, he really suits him, I think. He it, did a really yeah, good job. It grew on me a lot. Uh, he, he sounded... Like his voice is an octave lower in my head. Okay. Sounds gruffer. Yeah. But uh but again it was a great performance from him and the voice did eventually kind of fit to me. He had <laughs> he has this great kind of like clueless he he almost makes me think of like a like a big dumb dog. You yeah, know? yeah. Like and and I think that his voice actor just really evokes that. Like I don't know, I'll just call myself Seven. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He just uh, he does a good job with that aspect of Seven's personality. Yeah, uh, the Ninth Man for all seven of his lines before he explodes <laughs> also has a great voice actor. Yeah, but he's it's, good. It's short lived. Yes. 
but yeah, I, 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 uh, it's, it's interesting, um, to see how the voice acting, like, sort of changed that experience. Mm -hmm. I, it, it was kind of funny that Sean's, you'd say your favorite characters are probably Ace, Lotus, who, who, who your number three be? Uh, probably either Snake or Seven. Yeah. And, and it's funny that all of Sean's favorites are the characters with the best voice acting, <laughs> right? Like, there were characters that I liked more than those four in the original right. version of the game, but uh, those characters end up having kind of grating performances True. in the final version of the game. Um, and I, I think, like, that's something I kind of learned about you, is that, like, good voice acting kind of improves your, your opinion of, of a thing. You know? I, yeah, it, yeah, for sure it does. Uh, and, and that makes a lot of sense. It makes so much <laughs> sense that you would value that. Right. Uh, it, was, uh, it was definitely interesting to sort of see that in the context of this game and how it shaped your opinion of it. I think a good way to cap this all off is, Sean, after you, you beat the game, mm -hmm. as uh, e even though it had its flaws, you, you did enjoy your experience enough to start playing Virtue's Last Reward. Yes. Um, and I think it'd be, it, I'd be interested, you know, you played about an hour of it so far, I'd be yeah. interested to hear sort of your, your basic thoughts of Virtue's Last Reward so far compared to your experience with Zeroscape uh, 999, your full experience with that. Sure. I think that, you know, obviously I'm very early into Virtue's Last Reward, and they yeah. could wind up doing things I don't like. Actually, one thing I do want to mention about Ooh. 999 so that I can compare it with Virtue's Last Reward yes. is, you know, we, we touched on these kind of improvements that were made to make it easier to get different endings. Yeah. Um, and one thing that they kind of brought back from future games in the franchise is this timeline. So yeah, the flow look, chart. Yeah, the flow chart, but it's a timeline. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of look at, you know, where the story branches to different paths and mm -hmm. which ones, which parts you've done and which parts you haven't. Yeah. And there is a degree, obviously, to which that's very helpful. You can kind of see like, oh, I've gotten this ending, but I still have these endings to go and whatever else. Yeah, yeah. However, <laughs> uh they do they take very little time to explain how the flowchart works yeah and in particular there are certain parts of the flowchart for 999 where there will be like locks and keys that will <laughs> yeah. either be crossed off or not and will be certain colors or certain other colors yeah and they do not explain what it means yeah they don't explain how to unlock them they don't explain what unlocking them means and so i kind of was in this situation where I'd gotten a couple of endings and I wanted to get the rest. And I had to have Daniel look up a guide that would explain to me how the guide that I was using to get the endings worked. <laughs> like, it turns out that you kind of have to go in and make certain decisions and choose certain dialogue options in yeah. order to change the locks and then, but you have to like change these locks over here to get these locks over here. And, yeah. And, uh, it, that was, uh, for me, for, you know, I, for someone who wanted to get all of the endings so that I could talk about all this stuff on the podcast. Yeah. Um, I found that very frustrating. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was, that was really kind of difficult to deal with for me. <laughs> also another thing funnily enough that i didn't mind talking about uh is that there this uh, this is a game that has multiple endings yeah. i didn't like most of them yeah uh there's like there's an ending where clover gets really upset and becomes an axe murderer because her brother died yeah um and that actually wound up being one of my favorite endings just because 
it kind of comes about as a result of consequences that make sense. Like you can kind of see her going down that path. Yeah, yeah. As you play through that that kind of story arc. But then there are a number of other endings where like you just kind of uh, fail and pass out or somebody stabs you in the back and you don't know who it was. Or, yeah. Like there's just a lot of... I I think that um, one thing that occurred to me after I was done is that it helped for me to think of them, instead of thinking of them as endings, just thinking of them as, like, game overs. Yeah. Like, you know, you fucked up and this is what happened. Yeah, that's a good um, way to look at it, I think. <laughs> instead of it being like, this is the end of this story, which obviously it's not. Right, yeah. But uh, getting back to the topic at hand, Virtue's Last Reward, there's an extent to which it almost feels like 999 was the practice run. Yeah, And now yeah. Virtue's Last Reward is the real game, you right, know, where like, yeah. you get to kind of see all these things put into action in a way that feels more polished. Yeah. Um, there is also a flowchart in Virtue's Last Reward. I find it very intimidating. Yeah. There are many branching paths in that game, it looks like. Yeah. And about 50 kabillion different endings you can get. Uh-huh. Um, there are some people, Daniel, I know you're one of them, who kind of <laughs> look at that and think, oh, man, there's so much content here. I'm going to love this. I'm going to get all these endings. For me, it's like, oh, God, i got to do so much fucking work. I don't know how the story ends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh but I I have, generally speaking, enjoyed my time with Virtue's Last Reward so far. Nice. Um, I think that the cast of characters seems interesting. Yeah. I, um, I'm enjoying the fact that it's fully 3D and I can kind of look around with like one-to-one camera panning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I liked the first elevator puzzle. Nice. Um, I was enjoying the puzzle. I, I'm, I've stopped playing because I'm stuck at the very end of a puzzle room. Right. Uh, I was enjoying it up until the part where I got stuck. Now I'm a little frustrated with it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, by and large, um, I'm, I'm having fun with Virgie's Last Reward, and I'm looking forward to you know making some progress in in that thing. Nice. Yeah. I th- I think a lot of I think your mileage may vary on like which narrative is better between sure. 999 and Virtues Last Reward. A lot of people think that 999 is a better story. A lot of people think that Virtues Last Reward does. Um, but I, I think one thing that's very easy to say is that Virtues Last Reward, at the very least, is a better video game right. from a mechanical and game design perspective. Sure. Um, so I'm like, it's, I'm, I'm happy that like uh, you, you decided to give Virtues Last Reward a shot, even even if 999 burns you in some ways. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, you know, like, all, all together, I would say that I enjoyed playing 999. Cool. Um, I, I think there were more things I enjoyed than that I didn't enjoy. Okay. But there were a lot of things I didn't enjoy. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's very easy for me to just shit on that game wholesale uh, because there are a lot of bones I have to pick with it. Yeah. But altogether, it was a really interesting and unique experience, and I'm glad I played all the way through. Nice. Uh, that Those feel like some final thoughts right there. Do, <laughs> do you want to add anything to that? Um, no, I think I think we've pretty much covered everything. Yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, 999 is a flawed game. It's difficult for me to suggest it to other people. Right. But if you can stomach it, uh, it is worth it all together. Nice. I'm I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Uh, the, the game does does have some flaws. It is a weirdly designed game sometimes, and especially the version you played, I think, makes some things clunkier than they were initially designed to be. Sure. 
but I'm glad it was uh, there's an enjoyable enough experience that you did come out on the other side enjoying it warts and all. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I do think that the Zero Escape is one of those games where if you put the effort in, it's satisfying, but the effort can be a pain, and I, <laughs> I do acknowledge that. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that is Zero Escape, nine hours, nine persons, nine doors. And we've been talking for about nine hours at this rate. <laughs> what it feels like. <laughs> uh Sean, you get to, uh, as an official co-host of Play This, uh, get to recommend the game to me for the first time. You've yes. done it before as a guest, but now you get to do it as a co-host. <laughs> and uh, yes, I'm, I'm very excited to recommend this game to you. Um, the game that I'm recommending to you is Into the Breach. Yes. Now, this is a game that uh, was made by the same people that did FTL, Faster Than Light, Yeah, which is kind of like this real-time spaceship simulation game right um which i thought was pretty neat and a lot of people played and enjoyed yeah that it was kind of a phenomenon for a while you know like mm-hmm. uh it, it seems to like really blow up for a good amount of time it did for sure i uh am generally not a huge fan of real-time strategy which is essentially what that game is right and so it definitely kind of came to a point where i just got frustrated because i wasn't very good at it and i stopped playing right uh the thing that i really appreciate about into the breach is that it is uh, a game in my favorite genre of game, which is turn-based strategy. Right. I love turn-based strategy games. Advance Wars, Fire Emblem, Final Fantasy Tactics, Attack is Over, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just really gets me going. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm horny for some tactics. Uh, the thing that I really like about Into the Breach is that I think it takes all of my favorite elements of turn-based strategy and it condenses it into one incredibly fine-tuned experience. Nice. Uh, you know, so many um, really excellent and fun turn-based strategy games rely very heavily on chance. Mm-hmm. Like, I love Fire Emblem, and that game is essentially like a risk assessment game. Right. You're trying to figure out, like, okay, if my Myrmidon has a 30% chance to crit, and if it does, then he'll kill this enemy. But if he doesn't, the enemy will probably hit him and he'll die. Um, it's kind of like weighing, you know, kind of th- these risk analysis scenarios in your mind a lot. Yeah, yeah. XCOM, for instance, like the XCOM remakes are kind of like that. Like, okay, I got a 30% chance to hit this alien in the face with my laser. Right, right. Um, there is nothing left to chance in Into the Breach. Huh. Uh, essentially, um, without giving too much away, your enemies act first, and it kind of shows you what they're going to do, and then you have to figure out how you're going to respond. Um, if the enemy's projectile travels across a certain path and you're in the way, it will hit you 100% of the time. Huh. You know, and also kind of what you're doing, there's no chance of you missing or anything like that. Huh. And so every time you lose, it feels like it's 100% your fault. Huh. Like it's not like, man, if he had just, you know, hit the enemy, if if that yeah. thing just hadn't happened. Right. Like you can always see when enemies are coming in. You can always see what they're going to do. And so it's a very satisfying experience in the sense that 
It's just very cerebral and you really have to think ahead. And yet you have all the information that you need to make the decisions you need to make to win. That's that's really cool. It almost sounds like it's sort of a melding of a tactics game and a puzzle game. Uh, yeah, that is certainly true to an extent. Yeah. Um, I think that's very true. Yeah, it feels like you kind of have to solve a brain teaser, like solve a puzzle in order to to win, to, to make the exact right moves that you need to, and you have the tool set to do it, you just need to have the brain power to figure out the order and the and the and the moves and stuff i think yeah i think that um that's definitely an accurate way to describe the game but i also think that you have still a lot of agency as a player when you're deciding how you want to achieve your goals interesting yeah it's uh it's difficult to describe exactly how you know it is kind of mechanically satisfying. Cool. So I'm really looking forward to you playing it and to hearing your impressions because I've sunk dozens of hours into this game nice. and had a great time the entire time. Yeah, I'm really glad you recommended this to me because I've been very intrigued by it since it came out for the PC. And since then, it has come out for the Nintendo Switch, uh, which is the version that I will be buying and playing. Nice. And yeah, I, like, I'm glad that I have an opportunity to play this very interesting a very intriguing looking game that does seem like it'll be pretty up my alley. And I think it'll generate a lot of cool discussion because it seems like a very unique uh, bundle of game design. Yeah, I think it is for sure. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Awesome. Uh, Can't wait to play it. Cool. So that is our episode. Uh, Probably nice, big and chunky. We definitely covered a lot this time. It's big and chunky. All right. (laughs) And yeah, if if you guys have your own thoughts about Xeroscape, or if you want to play through Into the Breach alongside us over the next couple weeks, yeah. and send in your thoughts about it, uh, those both sound like great things that we would love to hear your impressions on. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, if, what he said. Yeah. So if uh, yeah, uh, so absolutely send your thoughts to feedback at playthispodcast.com. You can tweet at us at playthispodcast. And if you do that, we will read your your thoughts, your questions, your impressions on the podcast because we do love doing that. And we love... Uh, you. Yeah, we love we love you. <laughs> and we, we, really, we really appreciate you listening and we, we love it when we get to engage with you guys. So I'm going to start playing Into the Breach and... You'll get to hear what I think of it in the near future, I hope. Cool. Well, uh, with that, I guess I'll tell you that it's dangerous to game alone. Play this! Bye, everybody. Bye. Game over.